episode 136 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined as always by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am doing very, very well, and I was soaked from walking uh, my exercise before we did this commentary, and now I'm drying up, so I'm ready to do some uh, Avengers talk. Good to know. So yes. anyway, uh, Paul is not the only one with me today. We are welcoming back a guest who joined us for a Venom commentary back on episode 130 of the show a couple months ago. Uh, Andrew Custer is back, but this time we are doing a commentary track. It's not Venom. It's the big one. It's Avengers Endgame. Andrew, welcome back, and thank you for choosing this film for your new uh, commentary track. <laughs> you're, you're quite welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for it's always fun talking to you guys. So yeah, glad, glad glad we can watch a movie that that I think all three of us are pretty much on board with. I mean, it's not Man Thing, but it's close. It's not. It's not. <laughs> e- even Kevin Feige would agree that this is no Man Thing, but it is. Yes. Uh, it is Avengers Endgame. So if you don't know how we do these commentary tracks, we've got we've each got the movie queued up. We've got it on basically where it's the very first frame, all black screen, zero seconds into the movie. Uh, so we are going to go ahead, and it's a three-hour movie, so we got to get started right away. So yes. if you've got it queued up, or if you don't, pause it until you do. Uh, but we are going to get started here in three, two, one, go. And we're off. I almost thought I didn't start for a second, because yeah. uh, it's, so, it's dark for a while. I'm like, wait a minute, did I hit the play? I did. This was definitely the best way to open the movie with this scene with Clint and, uh, is it Lila? Yeah, Lila Barton, also played by one of Joe Russo's daughters. It was super cool to start this way, and I think very, very effective to, I mean, this is almost as effective as a previously on. I mean, people compare the Marvel Cinematic Universe to a big, expensive TV show, which I don't totally agree with, but... I mean, I understand where people like that are, are coming from, but at the same time, I think this shows that you don't necessarily have to recap everything that happened in the last movie, especially with Infinity War being such a, such a, a permanent fixture in people's minds and, and maybe even a little bit emotionally scarred from seeing everybody disappear at the end of that film. This is a great way to, rather than recap every single thing that happened, just reset the emotion from the end of that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I, I love this opening. It just sets the tone right away. I, uh, yeah. One of the, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's almost, a, it starts out as such a pleasant scene that I noticed it seemed like people forgot what, yeah. would ha- what this must mean would happen. Because I, every time I saw the movie, especially on opening weekend, even at the premiere with a bunch of people who made the movie, people were just going, oh, when Lila disappeared, when he turns around, you see, just kind of the ashes left of his of his daughter. People kind of forgot that that's what was coming. Yeah, when I, ga- gasps every time yeah. in theaters for me too. Well, it, it's it also for me. It's it, I obviously I didn't forget, but I knew what was coming. They were what they were setting up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's obvious, but it, it was just kind of. And I thought it was interesting, and I remember immediately when it happened when they showed the scene with the family with 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 Clint. I realized also with, with, with what we know he would become later on of Ronan, um, or Ronan, whatever, whatever you want to say, um, tomato, tomato. And it, 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 I, it's, again, this was the start of my first thing into Hawkeye. Like, okay, I see. Like, what's I like? I kind of liked where they were going with the family aspect in this movie. Again, I don't like the, this this version of Hawkeye, but if it was to set up something like this, I could. You know, I, I I started to kind of. It started to win me over immediately with with the impact of of showing that, and so, 
And I'm glad they put it in this movie instead of Infinity War. I know that, that in the commentary yeah. they talked about about that. And, you know, I, I just I could see why that this that wouldn't fit at all in Infinity War. If it, 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 to me, it's a, a perfect opening to remind you where Clint's been for so long and where uh, Clint is going in the future. I just never thought I would see paper football in space in a Marvel movie. And (laughs) as somebody who played a lot of paper football as a kid, I'm very happy to actually have that. Between these two characters too, right? Great piece of acting by great piece of acting by Karen Gillan to see the way that she kind of jumps back and that look on her face when Tony says you won, because remember Nebula never wins anything. I mean, she lost to Gamora every single time she did beat her in guardians of the galaxy volume two, but only because Gamora saved her. They disagree on what, who actually won that fight. But uh, Nebula's not used to winning, and just just seeing the way she reacts to that, to Tony saying "you won" and congratulating her, it's a really great piece, uh, as a great little piece of acting by Karen Gillan that that says a lot. And and I, I'm I'm always impressed by what the MCU has done in in many different respects, but the fact that it takes a character like Nebula, who's almost a throwaway in the comic books, and the way they've elevated that character just so tremendously in these movies, I, I think is particularly impressive. Yeah, uh, definitely. I 100% agree. Um, I just love that they actually open with these two characters when we kind of get get back to sorts here after the snap. Yeah, because, you know, it, it it just gets right into it between the two of them, you know, and and trying to survive out in space and kind of the, the desperation of the situation. This this is kind of the rock bottom. Um, mm hmm. You know, this is the 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 aftermath of the snap. But he but even Tony doesn't even know maybe the um, the full breadth of the situation. Right. He he saw his his comrades on Titan, uh, uh, of course, you know, uh, fade away to dust. But he's not sure what it might be like on Earth. Right. Is Pepper even alive? So. Right. I mean, he's just he's recording a message for her and just saying, God, he hopes that she's alive. And. This, right. this really serves, in, and as other people have observed and, and pointed out since this movie came out, but having Tony record this speech, because he doesn't get to say much when he dies, but this is kind of the speech that he would have given if he weren't mortally wounded. I mean, so this is kind of, this is what Tony would have said and at the end of the battle in Endgame if, you know, if he actually could speak. So you kind of do get, and obviously you get the recorded message as well, but this is a little bit of that Tony Stark farewell speech of, accepting his fate and, and being okay with it and you know and saying his goodbye. But obviously the difference in those scenarios is that it probably would have been a, a slightly different tone if he were able to speak more at the end of this film because he could actually, because he would be giving his acceptance of, of his fate while also knowing that he won, which in this, in this version of it, he's lost. Right. And I also love how Alan Silvestri's score is mirrored. Mm-hmm. It's the same, uh, a music piece coming up now as it starts to swell as it is uh, for the, for the uh, large crane shot um, yep. going over the lake at the end. Yes. I, I just thought that was a really nice touch. And it sounds, I've, I've said it before on the, I think on the, uh, the review episode, it sounds like the um, Louis Armstrong's what a wonderful world, like, like the melody it sounds very similar to that. So every time I hear that, I only, I just think of, I mean, and, and I'm being 100 percent serious. I'm not joking. Like I, I hear, I'm like, and I almost feel like Sylvester is trying to like say that about Tony's life. Like this is a, you know, this is his. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm totally off. I'd love to ask him one day, but you know, uh, that's obviously never going to happen. But you never know. 
and me and Al will be in an elevator one day. I can ask him, like, you know, you're, uh, you've done amazing things with Back to the Future, but the first thing I had to ask you is that Iron Man theme. Do you, like, rip off Louis Armstrong? <laughs> I love what Nebula does for Tony here. I mean, the assumption is that he's going to die, and she treats him like a captain. Like, the captain should yeah. be dying in his chair, not laying on the floor of the ship. It's just a little little piece of respect from Nebula to Tony right here as far when she thinks these are his, his last moments. I kind of thought Tony and Nebula would have a little more, like, closeness. Or maybe the, maybe there's uh, – yeah, I watched all the deleted scenes. I didn't see anything. But I thought they'd have more of a scene together because they probably spent a lot of time together. I thought they might have gotten close, you know, in that time frame. But they don't really have any really, like, scenes together after this. Yeah, so I wouldn't have minded something that, that circles back to it. I, I do think mm-hmm. that this scene is very efficient in showing some sort of connection. I mean, when she yeah. hands Tony kind of the last of the rations now. Yeah. Because I don't think Nebula doesn't need to eat at all, because Tony would have figured that out by then. Maybe she doesn't need yeah. as much food as he does. But you do see a little bit of a bond. And, and yeah, I wouldn't have minded if they found a had an opportunity to circle back to it somewhere else in the movie. But yeah, I do I, I do at least like what they showed us in this. And then, of course, the big... Uh, the big Captain Marvel save. Yeah. And I also think it was smart in terms of just the overall efficiency of the MCU. To We don't need to see Carol. We don't need to see the same mid-credit scene from Captain Marvel back again. We can just pretty much pick up what's happened. That that Carol went to Avengers Compound first, and then probably with Rocket's help being able to locate the Benatar, went into space and, and got him. And uh, we, as I said before, Steve's amazing shaving skills. This well, be- look at that beautiful face. Look at that. See, well, well, and I was noticing that you know hit that beautiful America's ass. You know, yeah. that's just- <laughs> <laughs> I see, mean, I, that's the most yeah, un- got- yeah. The most unrealistic part of this movie is that they're acting like Chris Evans shaved himself that way. Exactly. No way. That's a barber shave. Exactly. Yeah, that's a barber exactly. shave. That's it. This movie's done, guys. I can't suspend yeah. my disbelief anymore. <laughs> Dunzo. That's I'm a wrap. Yeah. Turn it off the commentary. Yep. We're done. <laughs> Let's save ourselves two hours and 55 minutes and go ahead and get this. (laughs) I love the way, I mean, just tonally, this is such a great return because it's, there is the relief of Tony and Nebula being saved, but there's also just the tremendous amount of sadness. And I also love that they chose not to have Tony flip out on Steve here. The first reaction from thinking that you were going to die is you see your friend and you're not going to immediately remember that you're mad at him and why you're mad at him. And and obviously he's thinking about Peter and he's thinking about Pepper. And then, of course, he sees Pepper. So that's it. Um, But I really love that uh, they kind of saved Tony's shots at Steve for uh, for the next scene and a great moment here between Rocket and Nebula. This is this is similar to me in the way in what you said, Paul, about Nebula and Tony is Nebula and Rocket are two characters who have way more in common than than has ever really been acknowledged in the MCU. So I mm-hmm. do hope, because we, we saw them hanging out for five years, or we know that they did, but I hope we actually get to revisit that in Guardians 3 and show the bond between those characters, because I think they are, they're built to be the best of friends in the MCU. Yeah. It'll be interesting what they do with, uh, or what they, I should say, James Gunn does with their relationship going yeah. forward now. There's definitely plenty of ground to cover. Yeah. I'm with you, Sean. I'm really glad they did wait for this confrontation. Like the confrontation between the two of them, it, yeah. it makes sense. Like you don't see that person again and go, I hate your guts again automatically after you just went through a huge devastating thing. 
And now with Tony, now that he's got some time to think, he's getting his IV in him, like he's getting yep. fluids, he's, he's, he's getting better. Now he's got, you know, he's got his kind of his head on a little bit straighter, a little bit. And yeah. then all of a sudden now all that comes back. Like that's real, that's realistic. That's a, a real life thing yeah. that you can relate to. Well, and the, the totality of the loss is sinking in at this point because now exactly. you're, you're seeing all these images of everybody who's gone. And before Tony was focused more on those that he saw disappear and the ones he had the closest relationship, Peter, and then obviously his fear of what would have happened to Pepper. But now he's, it's all starting to set in. And I love this. I love that this move, that in this sequence, he's calling back to the arguments from Age of Ultron, from Captain America Civil War, everything that happened in those stories, it matters and it informs the relationship between these two characters in this fight. And this is just an incredible piece of acting by Robert Downey Jr. And my favorite piece is the way he punctuates this when he calls Steve a liar at the end. And point of order, Steve is indeed a liar. So uh, he did, it was a lie of omission, but a lie nonetheless. And that wasn't actually an ad lib from Tony. They've said that, you know, liar wasn't in the script. But that little bit of it that just puts this quite, this almost whispered exclamation mark on everything that Tony has to say with Steve, I think it just perfectly sums it up, you know. And you see that Tony, the guy who tries to act like he's never, you know, emotionally hurt by anybody else, that he's he was hurt by Steve. It's not just, I'm mad because you didn't want to do what I wanted to do. I thought, you know, we were friends and you hurt me. And that's what he's, uh, that's what he's communicating here. And Steve takes it because he knows Tony's not wrong. Yeah. Also, the CGI on, on uh, Robert here, make him look thinner. is oh, just it's stunning. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Let's, you know, let's hope the Academy to... pays better attention this time than they did a year ago. Well, and you know, too, I, I, I'm very curious, too, how CGI will make method acting or uh, method acting, meaning like, you know, when, when actors would like lose a ton of weight or gain a bunch of weight or, you know, I wonder if that will change, you know, going forward from nah, you know, the help. Christian Bale's still so? going full method. Oh, <laughs> yep. Well, <fair laughs> yep. Not going to not going to change his process one bit. Well, it might, though. I mean, in some in some it's instances, like, like yeah. well, no, it's not even like, well, yes, there is that. But it's also not <laughs> it's not a choice in a movie like this. You don't have making this movie back to back with Avengers Infinity War, you don't have time for Downey to lose a bunch of weight and then gain a bunch of weight. So you just, right. you don't have it. This, it had to be done uh, digitally. I'm sure if Downey were going to spend the whole film at this weight, then he probably would have done most of it himself. That's a good point. But, but, I guess for me, it's like I I didn't even like I didn't I couldn't even like tell like I, I it's it's getting to the point where it's getting so good you don't oh, even yeah. like, think about it you know. No, I, I actually I didn't even realize it was CG until you mentioned anything. I thought I thought it was just like makeup and lighting. To be perfectly honest, no, they well, just, he, they he, used some he, CG to uh, to shave him down. Oh okay, yeah. I mean, he 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 did look gone, but n- nothing that made me think, oh, they altered him or he altered his body. I just thought it was really just a lot of makeup and, and shading. But yeah, huh, I like Thor's meal plan: King's Hawaiian bread and some beer. What else do you need? <laughs> <laughs> All AKA Carb City. Hey, that's that's where I live. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking it. Born and raised, baby. <laughs> Born and raised. Born and raised in Carb City. <laughs> oh gosh. And I actually love love this between um, Rhodey and mm-hmm. and uh, Captain Marvel here because. 
for 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 all the detractors for for uh, Captain Marvel movie or her inclusion in the MCU, that you know that it and or, even if it's a legitimate like okay, this this chick's just coming in and you know g- going like with a full tilt eleven. What what makes her so worthy? And I love that they actually wrote that into the movie. Like like Rhodey calls her out on it, and then she yep. has an answer, but yep. she also respects the Avengers. She says, "Hey." I had to help a lot of places because yep. they didn't have guys like you. So it was right. a good, good two way door there to, to sort of, um, yeah. you know, it's just a let the audience know, right. Yeah. It's a compliment, it's a compliment. And, it, and it, and, 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 and it eases sort of the more reasonable uh, detractors of yeah. sort of her, her inclusion. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying it's her way of saying, I recognize that you guys were good at this. You know, yeah. I know you just lost, Absolutely. but you were good at this. You didn't need I, I, you didn't need me as bad as these other places did. I have to say too. I just realized maybe I'm just stupid, but uh, uh, with Thor eating bread and beer, that's a precursor to him gaining yep. weight. Obviously, yes, it I is. just realized that I'm an idiot. Yeah, they. Uh, I think it was. I think it might have been Stephen McFeely or Christopher Marcus. One of the two of them called out in the uh, Avengers Endgame writer and director commentary. That first shot of Steve's eye as he's going in going into yes. space. Super cool yes, shot. I was about to say the same thing. I, I I love that shot. I'm so glad you called that out, Sean. So I, I was about to say something too. Uh, just the way it focuses on his eye, and it's like this guy is like Flash Gordon. You know, he's he's you know from the 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 40s, and then he's now he's not even present day. He's dealing with all this crazy future yep. space technology now. So that's just like I, I I get such Flash Gordon vibes from Steve in this movie. I also love uh, – this is one of my favorite underrated lines in the movie is after Carol says it's just him for Thanos and, and Nebula says, and that's enough. Yep. It's great in, on a lot of levels. One, it's accurate, but it's also a misdirect. It still makes you think that we're we're about to be in for this big battle of the Avengers yep. versus Thanos, and that's not yep. at all what you're about to see. I think that's – you know, if I, if I may here, I think that's kind of what the beauty of Endgame is. It really – because it is the end of this big saga, you think it's just going to be M battle after M battle after yeah. M battle. And, it, and it's not. It's actually, you know, it's so much about dealing with the ramifications of loss and dealing with the, you know, how do you make up for, you know, for these the, your failures and and, you know, obviously has amazing payoffs and, and, and things in between. But it really it really is more than just a, a big grand finale, which, you know, when you look at a movie like, let's say, and I, I like these movies, but the Hobbit films, like the Battle of Five Armies, I mean, I know this is not, not the same kind of thing, but that movie was like trying to be a battle like almost the whole time. And it was just, it was just re- repetitious and got boring. And, you know, you really need substance in, in these films to justify the action. And I think that's what Marvel does, I think, better than any franchise you know science fiction whatever you want to classify this as uh film uh films because they justify most of their actions everything is perfect but after 23 films or whatever they have done the best job you can to justify the big battles and to make them have meaning because they don't just do it endlessly all the time yeah and this was such a great sequence here i mean it's so shocking. I mean, the Avengers, they got Thanos, they got him right away, and they've chopped off his arm, and which is kind of the thing that everyone's, why didn't they, somebody just chop off his arm in Infinity War? Um, so they try it this time. I mean, granted, they did try it in one of the other 14,605 methods or whatever they chopped off his arm uh, pre uh, the original snap, but it, it didn't work for whatever reason. But 
in this particular instance, I mean, having this with Thanos and showing him so weak after he's used the, all six stones again for the second time, and then having the Avengers defeat him and Thor actually kill him, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And it's incredible on so many levels. I mean, not just because it's so unexpected, but it really closes the door on the Avengers. And, and you know, granted, they do eventually find a way out of this, but they don't find a way that completely resolves everything. Nothing can be completely undone. There is a level of this that is still that will forever remain this five year scar that will remain permanent in the MCU. And just the way this sequence plays out to convey that hopelessness. I mean, they they acknowledge it in the commentary track, the fact that people laugh when Thor says I went for the head because it does. I think for the audience, they're so used to they're they're so off balance here and they're so used to the normal Marvel quips that I think the first time people were watching, and I did hear a lot of you know chuckles in the theater when this happened, but then people realize afterward, like the music sets in, you see you see the look on Thor's face here, great job by Hemsworth, of somebody who just understands that all he did was not do something that he thought would make himself feel better because he was so angry and so upset over his failure that ultimately he's accomplished nothing here. And it all leads into the five years later that it really sets in for the audience that the Avengers lost and there's no easy way back. And the other part of it that works so well is this is what I think you needed to do, at least one of the things that you should have done in order to overcome the idea of Thanos using all six Infinity Stones. In the comic book, In order, because Mephisto convinces him that in order to impress death, don't use all the power of the Infinity Stones because then you're going to beat all the heroes and it's a no contest. Well, you don't have Mephisto, you don't have Death in here. There's no reason for Thanos not to use the full force of the Infinity Stones to defeat the Avengers. So what? how does he not do that? By just making him true to his word and saying, look, the universe required correction. The only purpose for these stones beyond that would be temptation. So he got rid of them. He's not trying to be, uh, he's not trying to be omnipotent forever. He just needed to do one thing and he did it. Yeah, and and I think um, before we get into this sequence, which is also actually, you know what, I'm just going to skip and, and, and get get right into this. This sequence is so important for me um, because of Steve mm-hmm. and Sam. And I know people all, uh, have been calling out the Joe Russo thing. That's great, too. That's cool. But mm-hmm. for me, what really gets me in this scene is Steve is doing what Sam did in yeah. Winter Soldier. Yeah. He's 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 counseling people. He's working them through their grief. And I think this is a huge reason why why Steve gives him the shield. And he says later it's yours. And every time goosebumps and man tears every single time. So and then just really quickly about the Thanos scene um, where he dies. Yeah, he's physically weak, but I love that he's still resolute mm-hmm. in his beliefs. And he just accepts it. It's okay. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. It still happened. It still happened. And I got what I wanted. Yeah. And then, yeah, with Thor, I always always thought that line was serious because I, I don't oh, know I did, why. I did yeah, too. When, 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 yeah. yeah when, so when people chuckled, that did throw me off too. I was like, oh, well, huh. Okay. But I, 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 I always took that as serious because of it's already eating him up inside. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I yeah. I. I clocked it right away. I think for some members of the audience, though, I think part of it, though, is just being 
you know, it might also be Absolutely. a little bit of a nervous I, laughter because like, what the hell even yeah, happened just now? Exactly. And then, and obviously that, being well-trained for the quips, but. Right, right. And and I think that's it. And so we just get this long, again, the, the tone was set with that Hawkeye scene. We yeah. get a little relief with some paper football, but then we're, we're really settling in for this kind of, you know, dramatic grind. Yeah. And, and, I, and I love it. Yeah, and I love that call out that you had of Steve doing what Sam used to do back when Steve and Sam first met. And just going back to, you know, what's what's the little bit of good I can do? And just realizing that that's what Sam was doing all, you know, Sam had been doing all along uh, before Steve met him and, and recognizing that. And I agree with you, that's a huge part of setting up uh, Steve feeling like Sam is the one who should get the shield. Yeah. And here's our hero, Splinter Ratatouille. Save the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Or or Ratatouille, sure. F- yeah. f- fill in your your. Uh... Oh, Ratatouille isn't. What's the name of the character? I don't know. Oh, I, I don't good. know. I'm, I'm not good with years. Pixar. <laughs> I have never seen Ratatouille. <laughs> so we'll just say Splinter. Yeah. yeah. Now, Splinter. Now, now, now we're talking. All right. Right. Absolutely. Actually, yeah, yeah I will I mean, say that's you know. a pre-mutated Splinter setting up the eventual ooh, MCU Ninja ooh, Turtles crossover. Ooh. Oh, I, uh, dude, don't oh. even play with my emotions like that. Ke- Kevin Feige, please do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I beg you, just do it as a side job. Do it as a sidekick, please. Just adapt the IDW comics, and you're good. Uh, yeah, well, the the originals I would love to see, but the IDW series is really epic too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that one guy who's from that one show. <laughs> Ken Jong. <laughs> yes, it's another oh, right. it's another community cameo for the Russos, which I'm never mad at. No, I, no, I'm, I'm, I still yeah, think my favorite is Jim Rash from from Civil War. Yeah, that I think that's my that one was pretty good. Yeah, see, I still haven't seen that that show. Um, it's just it's on the list. Sorry, I've got a Steve Rogers list, but it's on the list. But so when it when people were laughing at him, I thought, okay, it must be some some special cameo person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, even if they don't know the community connection, recognize Ken Jong from The Hangover or wherever yeah, else. Yeah. See, I, I didn't even recognize him from there. I had, I had IMDb, and I'm like, what are people laughing at? I'm like, oh, okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Remy is the name of the mustache. Ratatouille rat, by the way, because I, ah. I, I knew that was probably driving some people crazy. Um, they're, they're screaming at the at the phone at the. Oh yeah, right no, I'm. That's I'm well Robbie, you idiots! My bad, everybody. As, my bad. As 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 a listener, yeah, I've 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 yelled at my radio before. Sure. Who hasn't? I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. But 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 it's in good faith. It's like, come on, Sean, you got this. Come on, Paul. It's Dormammu. It's Dormammu. God, I'm sure people have just gave up on the show after me after a couple of times. Like, God, this guy can't pronounce anything. Oh no. What I love about this. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice touch on this vanished memorial is that it's in alphabetical order, but only kind of, you know, they're kind of grouped by last name letter. It it doesn't go in straight alphabetical order and it would be impossible to do that because you would have to know that names would just keep getting added as you're discovering so many people being gone. I mean, it's half of everybody on earth. So in every major city like San Francisco, millions of people, that's millions of people that have died or have vanished. So, uh, I, I like. I think that's a nice uh, touch that just feeds into kind of the the reality of the situation and how chaotic it was with so many people disappearing in such a short amount of time. And then great stuff from uh, well, I mean Emma Furman as Cassie, but particularly Paul Rudd and his reaction yeah. to it. That and this is a great payoff, I think, for people. Not in terms of a not a happy payoff, but emotionally 
for people who've been watching the Ant-Man franchise and seeing how much Cassie means to Scott in those films mm-hmm. and to realize that this guy who loved his daughter so much and was doing anything he could to be a part of her life is now coming to terms with the fact that he has missed five years of her life. And that's yeah, a lot for your is, kid. Yeah. And this is such amazing acting by Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is another one that I 99% of the time I well up because, and I really hope that the third Ant-Man film leans more into a, a serious direction. Don't get rid of all, all, all the jokes. I, I, I get it. It's really more of the lighthearted fare of the MCU. Um, it, it, but I really do hope it, it leans into more of what we just saw from Paul Rudd there. Uh, I, I think that would really be amazing yeah. for an Ant-Man solo no, or uh, Ant-Man I, and Wasp. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And also his uh, You're So Big line, they said, was an ad lib yeah. during the commentary, which is just incredible. Um, great, uh, great piece. Yeah. Great little improv by Paul Rudd. I love this sequence. I love that Natasha, this is what she's doing now. The the Russos and Marks and Mephili have kind of described her as the last watcher on the wall for this sequence, uh, which I, I think is really apt. And, and I just love seeing what Natasha is doing is that, you know, this is the character who was really much more about saving herself in, uh, in Captain America, the winter soldier and, and almost proud of that and how she saw that as a survival method. And now she's the one who's checking in on everybody and all she cares about is, is getting the family back when before she didn't want a family at all. I just, I love how a lot of that is set up here. And also, with the Captain Marvel thing, I know she's not in this movie very much, but I think they've get, in the same way that they efficiently gave her a good reason for not being present in the MCU for these past 20-plus years, I think they've also given her a good reason for not being in mm-hmm. much of this film, that what's happening here on Earth is happening everywhere, and there's no Avengers in those places, so she has to go around and she has to be helping out. It just makes, uh, it just makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't. I don't have any objection to it. Yeah, nope. and it also. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Oh, sorry. One. What I think why I, I'm I'm excited they're doing that is mainly because I I hope in the sequel films we like a Thor like has in in more so Ragnarok than Dark World, but I hope we get more of that cosmic Carol mm. and, and and we don't have to go to Earth and hang out there and you know and because again I, I didn't mind hanging out on Earth for her origin story you know and all that stuff but I, I want more I, I don't we don't have to go to Earth like we we've seen plenty of Earth let's let's hang out let's let's hang out in space some more let's let's do that so I hope they really keep that up in the sequel film well there will be just enough Earth to inspire a young girl named Kamala Khan um, but yeah you can still have a lot of focus on. In space, and for the record, I do believe that Natasha Romanoff is lethal with a peanut butter sandwich. So, <laughs> well, yeah. she well she would be for me because I'm allergic. So <laughs> she, 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 you're what? You're allergic to peanut butter? Even yep. with even without uh, the allergy, I would rather be allergy or not. I think yeah, Natasha I can. Rather... I think Natasha can take anyone out with a peanut butter sandwich. Oh, sure, sure, Lord. probably. Oh, I, I, oh man, thoughts and prayers, man. So glad that they got the, that these characters had this scene together. <laughs> You know, we saw yeah. their friendship start up in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the very first film for the Russos. So we needed to see it uh, circle back to that. And so I'm glad they get this moment. Yep, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is a friendship that it was a really important friendship, I think, for both of them, uh, you know, for both points of these characters. You know, I think Natasha went a long way in helping Steve kind of see the light and process what he was going through in terms of realizing that, the government he fought for 
back in World War II was no longer standing up for the same ideals that he was, but also Steve was really important for Natasha to see that despite all the moral grays in the world, you don't have to give in to the cynicism entirely and you can act you can actually bond with people. There are some people that you just might actually be able to depend on and it's it's worth it to try and trust people. Um, and the bond that the bonds that she's formed as she's talking about that right now in this scene, finding, you know, this job and then this family with the Avengers and, and how that's the only thing she wants to do is bring that back. Um, and why she's still yep. honoring that when, you know, Steve said, maybe this is a job that doesn't need to be done. And it's like, no, like it, it does need to be done. And that's why, that's why I'm the last one here. Yep. And also the, the, the fact that her heart's so broken over what Clint's doing because she's been down that dark path too. Yep. And here's where we get a little bit of a tonal shift in the movie. You know, we've oh, had absolutely. we've had all this despair, and now Scott's showing up to ask whose sandwich it is, and, and really start getting things going. Also, really efficient in terms of uh, giving the audience what they need to know about Ant Man, and more, perhaps more importantly, the quantum realm, as far as just the overall mechanics of this movie and time travel as, as the narrative device. Like it, it's great to see, you know, for those of us who've watched the Ant-Man movies, but if you're Marvel, you look at the box office for the Ant-Man movies and you, you know, you have to know and accept that a lot of the people who are going to watch this movie will not have seen the Ant-Man movies, or even if they've seen them, they maybe not, they don't remember them quite as well. So you have to be able to just pull out the bits that we need to understand from the Ant-Man franchise in order to, you know, make, have this film make sense. And I think they're, they're very, very efficient and very, very effective about it with uh, with a lot of this right here. I think that's the beauty of Marvel, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously this is all obvious stuff, but bear with me here. But it, it just shows uh, embarrassment of riches of how Marvel is able to know that not everyone's going to see their movies, to blend it all in yep. and still make it worthwhile to, for them to revisit those movies later to get more invested. And it's 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 a balancing act that you know, obviously other films have, have wanted to do maybe in the past or mm-hmm. have tried to do in the, you know, with, with Marvel's inner, you know, their uh, continuity that they've, they've established, but they have been, uh, this done a brilliant job of saying how you don't get it, but we'll do it enough to where you can make you understand a little bit and you're fine. And this is a, this is, this is done brilliantly, but written brilliantly and performed brilliantly by Paul Rudd. Like Paul Rudd, I, I mean, I think he gets, you know, he he gets enough credit, but I think he he really goes to show that how much how much of an amazing job he's doing in the scene with all the exposition. Yeah. But he's doing it in such a great and entertaining way. Oh, I think you can add Paul Rudd to the list of many of the actors in this universe, including this guy right here, Robert Downey Jr. I don't. I think most of these actors don't get the credit they deserve for the quality of you know for the caliber of performances that they're bringing to this. It's right. You know, people just look at, oh, it's fun and everybody's having a good time. There is tremendous acting going on in these uh, in these films. Yeah. And and, and I and I think it's almost because it's a sensory overload thing because Mm. I've no, because I've, I've even fallen into that trap. It's like, man, everyone's bringing it. It just, it just, it, it, it hits you, but it, then it doesn't really hit you until you realize it yourself. Yep. So I, I, I think that's part of it. So I don't think anybody is like purposely going, oh yeah, Paul Rudd, he's not that good. I don't think anybody's doing that, but no, or, or, agree, to, yeah. or, or, or to anybody. I, I just think it's just so like over the, the quality is so at a 
at a level I think it's unprecedented. I you use that word, Paul's used that word. It's this is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, I mean, well, I would say the closest has come, uh, you know, and Paul mentioned The Hobbit before. And yeah, I, I, I don't you know, the, the Hobbit series is OK, but I, the Lord of the Rings series, that's that that's another one I, I would say that could be comparable, perhaps in terms of the acting quality the consistency and the level that it's operating at. But yeah, so that, that would just be, you know, even that look that Tony gives as he's walking away, oh, that yeah. was just brilliant because he's, he's just like, here we go, man. These guys just can't stop doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I want that leather jacket that Steve's got. That's just dope. So, but uh, no, I, uh, Oh yeah. The, it's, no, the, it's the, nice. The, it's, the, it's clean. Yeah. The acting is incredible. And I remember I talked about this in our spoiler review, but as soon as we saw Tony kind of walking out of that cabin and it was going to be pretty clear, okay, Tony's gotten married. Even before we see Morgan, like Tony's got a family. He married Pepper. This is where you really start to worry about this guy and and start to realize, okay, well, he did. He did the one thing he hadn't been able to do, give up being Iron Man and, and of course, having uh, give up being Iron Man and, and have a family with Pepper. He did it. So he accomplished that. So the last thing left to do was obviously resolve his issues with his dad. Not that that's what I saw where I saw this going right at this point in time, uh, but also giving his life. Not, he, but I still maintain that he never needed to die in this story because he was he proved his willingness to to lay on the line or to lay down on the wire in Avengers. But it meant so much more here because he was sacrificing that much more in terms of the rest of the life that he you know that he could have had with his daughter and, and with his wife. Yeah, yeah, this is something I, I did not expect uh, Tony to have a kid. Like I again, I stay away from spoilers. I thought they, what I thought they were going to do is be like at the very end, of, very end of the end game. Like, I'm pregnant, Tony. Oh my gosh, you're pregnant. I, that's what I was kind yeah. of like. Oh god, <laughs> I thought it, no, no, seriously though. Like in all, <laughs> I really I'm pregnant, Tony. What a wonderful yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like how your Gwyneth. I like how your Gwyneth Paltrow is the same as your Louis Armstrong. <laughs> Well, you're not wrong. But the, the thing is this. I really thought it was going to be that cliche. But it, again, it subverted expectations to an extent where they gave you Morgan. Again, the five-year jump was such a brilliant move. You get, you get Morgan, and it's already established. And I was like, huh, I wasn't expecting that. I thought they were going to get a thing where, like, I'm pregnant, you know, or whatever. Again, a very cliche thing. Marvel didn't do that. Marvel did something even more daring they pushed it five years, which, which I still see people criticize. I'm like, whatever. But again, I, I just, I don't see, I think it's just a brilliant move. And because of that, you have all these people dealing with their loss and everything, mm-hmm. but Tony's the exact opposite. Tony's moved on and tried to, you know, as, as actually gained, I mean, in some ways in the five years. And so I love that. So it gave, and, the, and there's great, obviously interactions with Morgan in this, in this uh, which by the way is the name of my wife, which is really funny. It was a, I like that. It was interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a brilliant move and it was, it was interesting and I totally unexpected for me to have an established kid in that five year plan. Yeah. Now jumping to the introduction of professor Hulk or smart Hulk, as they were referring to him. And actually smart Hulk is how I used to refer to him. I, then I found out other people called him professor Hulk, but anyway, uh, this is something that the first time I saw Endgame threw me off, not because I wasn't expecting to see this. I was totally expecting to see this. I was expecting to see this pretty much the whole way from years, be- even b- well before Infinity War. I mean, pretty much around the time we found out what was happening with Hulk in, in Ragnarok. And so I knew that this was the direction that it was going. But as a comic book fan who was 
reading these specific comic books when Bruce Banner merged with the other versions of the Hulk with the Savage Green Hulk and the Gray Hulk to create the Professor Hulk uh, persona. When you know reading that as it was happening in the comic books and being such a fan of that, I was all, I was expecting to see that transition in these movies. And I know there was a time when it was going to happen in Infinity War and it was going to happen again in this movie and they ultimately decided not to do it. Even as somebody who loves that and would have really appreciated seeing it in these movies, I think it was the right call to not show it because I, I think tonally it works better and I do think it this scene works better and the overall story works better because we're having to play catch up as the characters are having to play catch up with this whole five-year gap of what the hell is this that we're looking at? And it also just does what this movie does so well is continuing to keep us off balance. So we don't really, we still can't quite grasp where it's headed. We might have some ideas in our heads of where things are going, but we still can't totally grasp it because we're, we, it just continues to be unexpected. But it still works even when it's no longer unexpected. Even when you've seen the movie, so you know what happens, I think it still shows that it's it's very, very effective. So, um, even as uh, even as somebody who loved seeing that transition of Bruce Banner to the Professor Hulk, I'm okay with not seeing it in the MCU. I think it's worth it for how effective this is uh, in this movie. Yeah, Professor Hulk was something that I never thought I'd see on screen. I just you know, especially with with the uh, with with the rights of the Hulk all solo films going through the, the problems they had or whatever with Universal. And this was, it was such a, it was such a pleasant thing to see a different Hulk. I, I, again, it was, it was very much, um, it was very much something that I, 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 I wanted and it, it really worked even better on screen than I anticipated. And I love the idea now they've established this, this Hulk on screen. So now we can potentially see an, an iteration of that again in the future, which I hope, I hope Ruffalo or, the Hulk continues in some capacity because I love Professor Hulk and I would love to see him in future films. Going back to the idea of efficiency a few seconds ago here, everybody focuses on the picture that Tony picks up of himself and Peter, but there's all the first picture he's actually looking at is a picture of his dad setting up what's Mm. going to happen later. And I just look, it's very subtle communication of what Tony's still thinking about and what he's still dealing with. and, And the, the parts of his life that still need to be resolved before it's uh, before it comes to an end. Also, well, really quickly, also, oh, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, uh, so, just so, sorry, but um, just I I love it because he's looking at his father. Then mm-hmm. he grabs that picture, like you said. He he's got it. It reminds him that wait a minute, you're kind of like this kid's father. Yep. And that's where he makes the choice. And then, of course, we see the, the full breadth of that uh, way on Peter and Far From Home. So, again, I love that interconnectivity, of course. Just wanted to jump yeah, into that. No, no I, I love that. And I this stuff between Downey and uh, and Morgan, I think Lexi Rave is the name of the actor of the young actors here. Like, it's so good. And this whole oh, I love you. Three, yeah, she's adorable. And this whole I love you 3000 bit, knowing the the true story behind that is that's what Downey's kids say to him. Because that the I love you tons line that he says is the original line from the script. And then, you know, switching it out for uh, for her to say back, I love you 3000. How I, we all know how iconic that's become. Uh, but I, I love the mechanics of this in terms of time travel. They've they do a good job of saying their rules, but they don't go into they don't spend too much time in the 
Here's how it's actually possible because it's not possible. Impossible science is is still impossible regardless <laughs> well, of how much you yeah, you it, explain it, it. So you have to yeah, you know it, it, it's science fiction. Yeah, it's it's Scott saying the quantum realm is unpredictable and Tony being Tony going through some things. I know some people say, oh, he solves it pretty quickly. Like, well, he would kind of have to. Um, but this scene between Tony and Pepper is is everything. It it it, go, it shows a lot between both of these characters. I think you know for Tony. It's so different for him, and this shows how he's how he's changed over these past five years. Because before Tony Stark, as soon as he feels like he has a solution to a problem, he's immediately jumping into action without necessarily considering how it's going to impact everybody, which is part of the reason why some of his plans to save the world actually didn't work out very well, including one really bad one in Ultron. So with this situation... He's really showing that, you know, now he's factoring in, like, you're my wife, we have a daughter, I have to consult you about this. You know, this isn't something that I can just decide for myself. And then for Pepper, she's kind of been, her main thing has been, or one of her main things has been wanting Tony to stop, you know, wanting him to give up this life and and move on from it. But then she shows that, look, she's not just going to be some selfish person who wants her husband and the father of her child at home. Ultimately, she realizes, you know, and she says it here, we got lucky, a lot of other people didn't. So if we have, if there is a way that you can help, you need to. And that's because it's the right thing to do. And it's also, as she said, you know, will you be able to rest? You you need to do this and you should do it. And she gives him that green light. Yeah, absolutely. Very important. And yeah, the, the stuff between Tony and his daughter, super precious. I'm I'm all about it. I, I want a whole movie of the two just going on like a forest adventure camping trip together yeah. or something. <laughs> Tony and Maguna. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think this is great. You know, oh, either incredible. all of it's a joke or none of it is. We're good. <laughs> yep. Great. It's I mean, it's it's Hulk summarizing the audience like (laughs) he's summing up what the audience might be wondering at this point. It's like, hey, we're doing time travel. You're we take it or we don't. All right. We're good. Let's uh, Mm -hmm. let's move on. Exactly. And I think most time travel movies have to do that nowadays. I think another example I can think of off the top of my head is, is Looper, where, you know, Bruce Willis is like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and do straws with diagrams on you. OK, it just is what it is. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's just how it has to happen nowadays, where before you could be a bit more technical with it or, you know, have a MacGuffin like a flux, a, a flux capacitor or something to that effect. Yeah. Well, and the Russos and Joe Russo and Stephen McFeely make a good point about it uh, during the during their commentary track, which is, well, now it's definitely better than ours, but anyway, because they made the thing. But in their commentary track, <laughs> sure, absolutely. They, uh, they talked about, um, you know, obviously there are certain mechanics and rules that they had to set up, but the purpose of the time travel in here wasn't to, wasn't to impress everybody with how they could figure out time travel because nobody can. It's, you know, it's part of genre storytelling, and so what they the main point was is what time travel would allow them to do in terms of the emotional scenes that characters would be able to have tony with his father thor with his mother hell even steve with himself in uh, mm-hmm. in 2012 so like all of those things that's what it's really about um and that's why time travel is a part of this movie is it's part of uh, giving closure to these characters in a way that without time travel isn't possible to be able to go back and say things to people that you never could before i mean tony did his best with barf in Captain America Civil War, but that's not the same. You know, it's not the saying something to a digital recreation of your dad 
is not the same as going back to 1970 and talking to your dad as a, uh, and talking to your dad as with now with a new perspective of you're a father talking to your dad right before he became a father. And it's, uh, you know, it's very, it, there's just a certain level of, I mean, it's worth it. And that's, that's what makes all the time travel worth it. I mean, it's not just the device that allows them to use infinity stones. It's the device that allows them to heal themselves, not, you know, not just bring people back. Absolutely. And I love this scene and I love the simplicity of it. Oh, it's just, it's just perfectly understated. It's just Tony saying, yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it, I, I, I don't even know how to explain it, how this scene just really got me well, as well. Yeah, he said what he needed to say. You know, he said what he needed to say yeah. five years before this. And so now all that's left is because that's the one thing he didn't get to do in Civil War. He didn't get to say his piece like Steve got to write his apology letter and provide the phone. But Tony didn't get to talk back to him. And now Tony, that's true. Tony said yeah. what he had to say in the sequence that we saw, you know, five years before this. And so now he put it all on the line and now it's like, okay, you and I have each said what we need to say to each other. We don't need to keep presenting each other because it's terrible. Neither one of us likes it. And this is what makes it for me is right as they, right as they shake hands, this little grin slash smirk that Tony gives Steve. Cause that's the, to me, that's Tony saying, I love you. The little yeah. smirk and the nod, yeah. because yep. there's still a certain amount of, you know, male intimacy that Tony's not going to be a hundred percent comfortable with. <laughs> so he can't say, I love you. He can't say the words, but that's what, that's him saying it. You know, we're shaking hands. We're locking eyes. We obviously love each other and care about each other. And that's, that's the nod that he's giving. So yeah. And, 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 oh, I'm sorry, Paul, but just real quick, that's the first nod, but I really adore the nod right before they, they go back in, yeah. in time. The look, the look he gives cap there just swells all those man crush feelings in me as well. And it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I also love, again, not that the shield is like everything that the cap, like he, it's like, he sees it and is just like, he's not like, Oh my gosh, it's my shield. Cap, I love, I just love the continuation of Cap not, the shield does not make Captain America, like, it's not defined Steve Rogers, it's not, because it, it very, to me, it's very easy to write that, you could yeah. write, uh, I mean, in the comics, it's, it's it's not like that either, really, but in in the movie, it's very easily, you could make it, have it be a big, a part of him, like, it's, oh, it's my, it's my baby, it's blah, 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 but they don't do that. And I, 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 again, that's one of the things that's great in this, in this continuity that they kept in the comics that Cap does not care about the shield the same way that we all think that he would. Well, and I cares, love that. It, what this makes it, what this shows that it is right now is it, it's become a symbol of their friendship. And Absolutely. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's not about, about the same thing. it's not about Steve's identity as Captain America. It's about that friendship and, and Tony, because that's why Steven says, are you sure? Because, mm -hmm. you know, the reason he hasn't been having the shield is because, you know, he let his friend down and that made his friend feel like he wasn't worthy of this shield that his friend's father created. So his friend giving it back to them, that's like, that is the olive branch. Not the little pen set from FDR in Captain America Civil War. It's the shield that's the true uh, olive branch. Well, I, I disagree. That's why I threw it down in Civil War, but that's a whole other discussion. I mean, well, I don't think it's one thing, but I do think it's part of it. True, I mean, it is true. the last thing point. Tony says to him before uh, he actually drops the shield. I, I will concede that. I, I would say it's a combination of multiple things. And yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I just noticed a giant thing walking in the background. Yeah, man. Am I, no, no, that, it's, it's there. Nobody knows what it is. 
and they don't uh, they don't address it in the commentary track. They just let it uh, walk on by, literally. Weird. I, yeah. yeah, but this yeah. is a great. And I, uh, I had a sh- oh, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, sorry. Just wanted to shout out the taco scene. That was super oh yeah, epic. Taco yeah. amazing. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hulk uh, handing Scott those two tacos is just, or maybe three. I don't know. It didn't count, but like handing him those tacos, like it's just it's such a sweet zen gesture on the part of Hulk. Absolutely. Like I just absolutely love yeah. it. Well, and and that's what makes his yeah, and and it's funny you say his character is so zen, and and all all the moments coming up pretty soon. But where where Thor grabs him by yep. the collar, and he just gently says, "Please let go of me." Yep. But he has his hand on Thor's hand, yep. and he's forcing it off. So yep. there's like a very you know the Hulk smash is still there a little bit. You know, it, it he there's still a, a degree of control that Bruce oh, has absolutely. to exert, and I do love that. Absolutely. I do love that. My favorite part about this, though, I mean, obviously a great job by Hemsworth, but also Ruffalo and tremendous VFX work on the performance capture to make sure that it all shines through, is that, yes, you see this, you watch this sequence, and you can laugh with it because it's definitely being played for comedy, but there's also something very real and very emotional about this whole thing, and that the one person who's not laughing, who's not cracking jokes, is Hulk because he sees through it. And this is where I, you know, this is your cue as an audience member to see the way Hulk is reacting this to go, look, we can have fun with this, but there's real pain that's happening with this character that all of the, you know, all the jokes make, you know, going after new master 69 and all this stuff. And, and even some of, you know, rockets quips to Thor, we can have a little bit of fun, but at the same time, you need to understand that this is a manifestation, a physical manifestation of real pain that's been going on for this character for these past five years. Yeah, this was such a shock. And I've said this before. Um, I think I said, I think I said, I actually didn't say this on the uh, uh, review or maybe I did. Um, but I was, I kept expecting for him to shed his, uh, his weight at the very end when he put on the costume, like it would like the, the, the Odin's magic or whatever mm-hmm. would come in and shed him in, in the true Thor would appear. Cause you know, whatever, um, it almost felt like he hadn't used it in so long, and that's why he was he got he let himself go. And as soon as he would, you know, call upon the the, the hammer again for the first time in like you know five years, that it would become normal Thor again at least. And no, and I actually thought I, when it didn't happen, I was like, yeah, okay, I lo- I love this, I yeah. love this a lot. Yeah. So it was not yep. something I expected, at any in any rate, but it was so, again a great payoff and I, I love that they didn't do it it was yeah. again a gutsy gutsy move well that's what it, that's what validates it emotionally it's not yeah. valid to do this with thor if you say the weight if you ultimately say the weight is what's wrong with him you know the the weight is not what's wrong with him it's the pain internally that is what's mm-hmm. wrong with him it's the the sadness the regret all of those things but the fact that you you establish as they will later on that he's still worthy of mjolnir and you know that's in that conversation with his mom. That's he's already healed at that point. Can he lose the weight later? Sure, of course he can. But you don't need to solve that immediately because it's not the real problem here. And I think yeah. that's you know so that was a really smart choice to to handle it that way in the film. You know, and, and Sean, well, I'm not and, and really fast, Sean. I just want to say like there was a lot of backlash of this online. And, I, and I'm not even trying to like, you know, we're, we're good buds. And I, I want to say like, I'm not just saying this because you're my buddy, but 
like straight up, like you do a great job of explaining that. And I mean that like, I, I wish people like could like listen to that everywhere because I seen people criticize it. And when you explain it like that, it's like, yeah, I, you can't say it any better. Like, honestly, like kudos to you, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I would just say, I actually hope he keeps the body because it uh, for uh, Love and Thunder and potentially Guardians 3, because it makes him look burlier so that we can get into the, the King Thor type stuff from mm. Jason Aaron's run. And then that will, of course, lead into uh, to, uh, you know, Jane Foster becoming uh, Thor. The only reason I think they wouldn't do it, it would be a practical thing is, you know, Hemsworth you know, he did have issues with his back from doing this, and that was part oh, of really? an ensemble. F- yeah, he oh, did hurt his back at one point. Got it. Ooh, um, sorry to hear. Never mind. No, I don't think it was that serious, and I think he was able to finish. But I, I think that, you know, there may be an issue of him carrying around that prosthetic for an entire movie. Although, I mean, it's the prosthetic only needs to be heavier when it's when he's going to be shirtless. It's so, his actual. You know, bare shirt, yeah. So I think if they when he's covered, it could be lighter. But then that also makes it tough as an actor because part of the reason you want to have the weight is you want to act like you have the weight. You want it to. You want the physics of it to be real. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's sure. it's an extraordinary oh, sequence, yeah. and and I'm I'm up for whatever they want to do. But I'm glad they didn't do the the instant weight loss approach. And this is also a really impressive single shot that happens in this Tokyo sequence. We're still in the same shot. We haven't cut yet uh, since we first hit this street. So yeah, really, very, uh, yeah. very Marvel Netflix. Yeah, and they. Uh, <laughs> although this is clearly not Renner, uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so we don't get to Renner until we cut. But I mean, well, we hear him, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't Renner there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure Renner was sitting on this on the on the on the lot this day, singing one of his really bad songs. This was um, uh, this was two days. They uh, they took uh, it took him two days to shoot this. Oh, John I mean, Renner. well, to get, I mean, it's all a single shot, but two days to actually make sure they finally got the shot. Cause you could imagine this probably went wrong a few times. Oh man. Jeremy Renner. <laughs> do you, do you, do you not like him, Paul? You know, I, I, I love him in Hurt Locker. I love him. I love him in the town. Um, I don't think he's a terrible Hawkeye. I just don't like, I don't like the characterization they've turned into Hawkeye. Um, but I don't know. Like, He's all right. And then, like I said, I, I, I mentioned his uh, music and I, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> oh, well, so well, that I'm, was our, I, that was our first yeah. cut in the, in the sequences right after we, uh, is that, so now we can actually have Jeremy Renner. So that was our first cut in this whole sequence. It, it's still really impressive. I know it's not Renner and they could have done more of the Netflix style of let's swap as we move the camera, let's swap Charlie Cox and the stuntman in and out. And that probably would have been, a little bit nicer if they had done it that way, but it's still a pretty impressive sequence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This just almost feels like the Russo's kind of showing off a bit. Yeah, and and, and that's what, why I mentioned the Netflix thing, because I, I, I feel like, you know, wow, cool. Netflix has done that. Let's do our version of that. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, you don't use the stunt doubles, but it still is this really gorgeous, well done, well executed, choreographed uh, lawn take. It's just really amazing. And... Yeah, now now what's happening here between uh, Natasha and uh, and Clint is just really uh, yeah. This is everything. I mean, this is you know b- between these two. Th- this is the love because it doesn't have to be a physical right. love that that gets sacrificed later on 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 Vormir. 
but it, it an actual like almost a purer love you know um that that would re- reflect a uh a, like a, a father daughter like thanos and, and gamora but in this case i think more brother sister yeah absolutely well yeah. and it's great that they've also shown you know we saw that natasha had her own bond with clint's family you know and so i mean obviously just clint being her friend is enough to show you know is enough for her to feel you know horrible for him and, and horrible for his loss but you know her having that bond with the family i, I think is you know it, i think it just adds to it um interesting thing here uh this is another professor hulk attitude moment is this look on ruffalo as he's and he kind of tucks in like his bottom lip a little mm-hmm. bit as he nods and he's kind of annoyed yep. at scott who's explaining to him just how precious these pin particles are uh that's uh that is a little bit of hulky attitude there that's not banner oh yeah <laughs> this was this was funny. I thought this was great. Oh, I loved I, it. I, I laughed. Yeah, I loved, laughed very hard at that. Well, because because Scott wants to because because Scott's Scott is a hero. He's got the hero's heart, but he just make he's he hasn't been in the game long enough and he does make a simple human error. I, I think that any one of us would make and accidentally use some pen particles accidentally. So I love how he just like, okay, you know what? Um, I'm too rattled for this. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody else can do it. And I'm, I'm glad it was Clint because it allows him to have that emotional um, moment with uh, hearing a daughter again and, and all that. So it's really and, good. And also I, I have to say too, is that after he's been, he went away and for so long, you know, he's a little traumatic, not just coming back from all that, but like, it's just like, it's still, you know, he makes jokes. It's like kind of his, why would he want to go back and risk that again after he just went and did it? I, I, yeah. I, well, he has, right. he, he's, he's not exactly too keen to turn, to go back to the quantum realm yeah. quite yet. Yeah. Well, yeah, Scott has sure. the most, Scott has the most unique experience of anyone in the film because right. everybody else is divided into two camps. The people who were gone for five years and, you know, well, I mean, eventually they feel kind of like Scott did because they feel like it's only been two seconds. But Scott's the only one that we see in this film who's actually comes to that realization and actually has to go through that emotionally in this particular story. Um, whereas all these other heroes, I mean, they are the ones who've been around for all these five years. So for Scott, it's so much harder for him to get his bearings because he, he there's still got to be a part of him that, that can't reconcile this because like he was gone for, as he said, five hours and now and five years went by. I mean that's that's a, just still a crazy thing to even think about to try and wrap your head around. And yeah, and he did, you know, going to the quantum realm caused him to lose 5 years with his kid. And that's a kid who's he already lost years of her life when he was in prison. Absolutely. I love this. The, the, that look on on Renner's face mm-hmm. almost like man Maybe if I just take the suit off, you know, just stay. Yeah, you can just stay. It's still incredible to me that these suits are entirely CG. I had no idea that that was the case until like a couple weeks ago. I, I mean, I away. didn't know until five seconds ago when Did, Sean just said, wow. Yeah, down to the wrinkles on the boots when he kneels. <laughs> like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Wow, that that's I, I uh, wow. That's all I have to say. Yep, wow. So, uh, 
you know, RIP Green Lantern for taking the hit for everybody in uh, pioneering CG <laughs> costumes. Everybody laughed at it at the time, and, and perhaps deservedly so. But uh, I, it's become it's become it. fairly I, I, standard. Yeah, I actually liked the concept. I that that wasn't my issue with the movie. Hey, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. So you know, you needed a somebody Absolutely. had to be first. And while you can, say, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think the costume was really the issue in that particular movie. But in retrospect, I'm I'm glad that it happened because you know it's that technology has has obviously improved a lot since then. Yep, just like uh, St- Star Wars: uh, Attack of the Clones was the first, I think, to use the digital face over a stuntman with Count Dooku. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you f- pause and freeze frame it, you know, looks a little wonky now, but it's okay. I absolutely love this entire time heist brainstorming session. It's a great way of kind yeah, of I- teasing, you know, teasing what's what's about to happen kind of uh, queuing it up for us a bit as an audience as as the audience but at the same time i mean it just shows how these stories matter uh, per, even including the most beat up of all marvel films thor the dark world gets a new 100% pure of heart fan in scott lang i just it tickles me to death that <laughs> that paul rudd is sitting here smiling and nodding along as thor explains thor the dark world yeah, and which is also my my least favorite of the uh, Marvel films, but that's not to say I, you know, loathe it or anything like that. Certainly not, but it is my least favorite. But I I, I do. You call it out on the um, on the review show as well, and then when I saw Endgame after that, I was like, oh, that's cool. Scott Scott's really really digging this this yep. little you know dark elf story. Ooh, I so I was like, okay, so actually that actually made me go back and watch the the Dark World and. You know, funny thing. It just I have I have a slightly upgraded appreciation for it. So pretty pretty interesting how some of these later movies can embolden the previous movies. Um, certainly, Iron Man two was an experience early on for me after um, Avengers of just like oh yeah, that's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, so I, I first thought it to be. I love Thor: The Dark World, but I admit it's a it's a warts and all situation. But I still think it's a decent and fun superhero adventure. And the parts that I love the most about it are, you know, particularly it's the stuff with Frigga, and of course she comes back in this film. So seeing seeing this movie kind of recognize her importance in Thor's story, which I, I think up until Endgame, you know, that relationship between Thor and Frigga was criminally underrated in the MCU. Um, to see it get its due here um, in such a wonderful and such a beautiful and emotional fashion is so uh, is, is particularly great. But also just a fun little literal nod here as <laughs> for Scott to be <laughs> so in love with the story. I also yeah. love that uh, Hulk love... is now eating his own ice cream flavor. Hulk is yep, boom! You you stole the words right out of my mouth, Sean. <laughs> the Hulka Hulka burning fudge. It's Hunka Hulka burning oh, fudge. Oh, Hunka Hulka. Yeah. Excuse me. If you actually, because there's been some debate as to what exactly Wong was saying in, uh, and the subtitles don't help you because it's hunk of Hulk of in the subtitles for Infinity War. Right. Okay. But if so you if I you thought. pause yeah. it, okay. you can actually yeah. see on the ice cream carton that it says hunk of Hulk of burning fudge. Oh, I certainly hope they make that a real ice cream flavor. I can't believe it's not already. I, I know, especially with all the Stranger Things, you know, ice cream and scoops ahoy and new Coke, which I've got all of that, but I totally would have bought Ben and Jerry's Avengers themed ice cream. Yeah, I, I, I'm still waiting. I mean, I don't even like hazelnuts, and I would buy Stark raving hazelnuts, <laughs> and it would just live in the freezer yeah, forever. Absolutely. It's a yeah, little I've, chalky. I've, 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 <laughs> it's yeah, a bit I've chalky. Still got, 
Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've still got the Batman and Superman ice cream in my fridge right now. Nice. And uh, it wouldn't be right to have this movie, this culmination of the Infinity Saga with Avengers Endgame, without a proper Captain America speech. And they delivered, both in the writing from Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, and the delivery by Chris Evans. I mean, Rocket's not wrong. He's pretty good at that. Just yeah. such a great speech. Yeah. And 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 again, just just got, I I have to shout out this moment for a second time. I said it earlier, but the the look that Tony shoots him, it's yep. just like, oh, I love you too. That and I love yep. that you two love each other. <laughs> well, I also it's the tragic, sad irony of it that Black Widow is the last one who speaks before they go into the quantum realm, saying "see you in a minute," and she's the one who will not return. Oh. But it's also That's the smi- right. it's also the smile on her face because you know she was so depressed, so distraught over not, you know, over the lack of hope of of ever fixing what went wrong five years ago. And ever since she found out there was a way, we've seen this character become more and more optimistic. You start to see her smile more, particularly in this scene. But then also when they're on Morag before they go to Vormir, and then when they're on the ship when they're on the Benatar traveling from uh, Morag to uh, to Vormir. She becomes so much more hopeful, and then, of, which just makes it that much more painful when she's faced with the decision that she has to make in uh, on Vormir. Gosh, yeah, I actually never thought about that before. Because yeah, she she definitely lightens up, especially after she brings Clint mm-hmm. back from the brink. Um, she she definitely her spirits are more and more uplifted as as we continue on in the story. So yeah, yeah, that 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 is absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, once I, I Clint, never kind of yeah put once that together. Yeah, once Clint has hope, she allows herself to feel it that much more. Yeah, mm. I mean, this was just. I mean, oh, I'm I'm all about this. Standing, this, cheering. Yeah, this yeah. greatest hits tour uh, that goes right to this, as iconic as any moment in the MCU with you know this circular shot of all the Avengers for the first time, just unbelievable. And here we are, <laughs> just off the bridge. Yeah, everybody absolutely lost it during during that scene. Like I, I saw it three times opening weekend. Every single time, just complete eruption. Yeah, and as a Hulk nerd, what I really appreciate, especially in this particular sequence, but even more so when Hulk has to take the stairs, you do see there is a clear size difference in the Savage Hulk versus the Professor Hulk, uh, because there is also a strength difference. This version of the Hulk is not as strong as the Super Mad Guy. But this was great stuff from Ruffalo, and, and a fun thing to learn from the, the <laughs> Russos and Marcus and McFeely commentary is that this wasn't originally in it, that Ruffalo kind of added this, you know, the going up and smashing something, the half-hearted roars. Uh, it was originally going to cut after it seems gratuitous, but whatever, after he rips his shirt off. Really? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Because that's, a, that's a, such a great, funny moment. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's a great touch. And uh, as they point out... Uh, very correctly in the uh, commentary, if you're looking for another sign of Hulk attitude, the fact that he goes right for the uh, the fact that he goes right for the time stone uh, in, inside the Eye of Agamotto with uh, the Ancient One, you know, just saying like I don't have time to deal with it, and he just goes right for it. That's very Hulk and not so much Banner. Yep, very much. Mm. So yeah. that's why she has yeah. to knock, the, knock the... the Banner out of the Hulk to have a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely, and and I love the Michael Giacchino uh, score little mm-hmm. little uh, stinger there as she was uh, kind of helping out a little bit un- unknowingly. Yeah, I mean, also there was a little bit of uh, 
we didn't call it out previously, but a little bit of Silvestri's own cap score when uh, Tony was handing him the shield. Oh, absolutely. And then later too. Yep. This stuff, this, this is great. The, <laughs> this is some like, this is, this is so underrated, like the fricassines and uh, like Thor. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, I mean, it's the, it's the heart of the movie. It really is. Like it's, it, it, Hemsworth just nails it. He 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 just toes such a great line of total like comedic like com- comedic performance and also legitimate like emotional performance. It's it's really really great. It boggles my mind the level of. I mean, it's not ease because I'm I'm sure it's extremely difficult, but it looks like it's easy. He makes it look easy. The level exactly. of ease it appears as is he just he he seamlessly transitions from comedic to dramatic. I mean, he can do it in the same sentence. It's just extraordinary yeah. between the, the the sequence that he has with Rocket, uh, talking about how much he's lost in Infinity War, to all of this stuff here happening on Asgard. Hemsworth, is he's just remarkable as an actor, particularly in these films. I mean, I think this is his best work, is the stuff he's done as Thor, uh, particularly in these past few years from Ragnarok all the way through this. He's just truly... Truly gifted, and you know, and he, as I said, he makes it. I know it. It can't be easy, but he makes it look like it is. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I love th- this stuff between him and Rocket mm-hmm. because it is just an extension of their adventure from Infinity War and and their conversation on the uh, the pod ship, mm-hmm. and just it's uh, it, you see these two really. That's why I'm so excited. For for I mean I'm already excited nevertheless, but for Guardians Three, I, I definitely hope Chris Chris Hemsworth uh, uh, tags along a little bit with the Guardians, uh, just so we can get more of him and Rocket, and um, of course, as you maybe alluded to, Sean, it's a possibility with Rocket maybe sacrificing himself, and you know to maybe get uh, get get some Thor in there to give it that extra dramatic weight for how much that potential loss could 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 affect the characters yeah no well rocket and thor i I think that's the only pairing from infinity war that repeats itself in endgame Mm. everybody else gets you know thrown into a new group that they weren't necessarily a part i mean the groups are completely different anyway just by the nature of the story um but you know repeating this pairing while this could have been something that you say well we're, we're doing this in infinity war so let's not do it in endgame uh, it was worth it, and you know it's it's very real. It's very honest in, in terms of the relationship between these two characters. And Rocket is the perfect guy to pair with Thor because he's the guy who can be, you know, Rocket has learned to be somewhat sympathetic over the years. But if you need somebody to slap you out of something, Rocket's definitely the guy. Oh yeah, he has no problem calling you out on on your BS because he's the master of BS. Yeah. So here's another big smile from Natasha. Is giving Rhodey a hard time as they're loading out the escape pod. Like it's just. It's yeah. it's such I mean it's great storytelling, uh, but man, it it just makes it that much more of a gut wrench when you when we get to Vormir because Natasha is just so you know she just gets more and more hopeful with each passing moment. Remember, there's more than one nebula in 2014. <laughs> it's not what she I'm says, sorry. Paul. <laughs> what is, what does she say? What does oh, she say? She says we're not the only ones looking for Infinity Stones in, in 2014. And Rhodey asks oh, okay. her, who else is looking for the stones? My father, my sister, and me. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's just, a much it just, better line and delivered much more efficiently. Uh, I, 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 I'm just paraphrasing. Obviously, I butchered it, but it's still weird to me. You're, One uh, of my only few nitpicks. Yeah, your Gwyneth Armstrong or, or Louis Paltrow is much better than your Louis Gillen. Paltrow, I like that. <laughs> I like that. 
Paul Paltrow. <laughs> That's good. Oh man! But I, I, I think. Love the, yeah. Oh no! Go ahead, Paul. Uh, I love going back to Morag. I always like this planet. I oh it man, cool. it's so cool. Yeah. I still wish we could see the uh, the original version of this that shows why you know why now was the time and people were like why is nobody protecting the power stone well because in the story it's actually surrounded that planet is entirely ocean and then only once every in such a great while does the ocean actually like recede long enough to be able to go in and get that orb mm. so i would love to see uh morag as the full-on ocean planet interesting i didn't know that i always assume that people just didn't know like this had no idea only a few people did and it was like you know kind of like a, a lost treasure map kind of if yeah. you will well yeah i'm i don't think it's the kind of thing that everybody knew but i think those who were in the know and plus i mean it i think it became apparent that there was something worth finding you know once the ocean started to recede i don't think people knew the entire time that it was in the buried underneath the ocean that that it was there because if they can right. master space travel they can master deep sea diving they can figure it out exactly yeah exactly but that is why the planet is uh, very, very wet. Yeah, and then what, one thing that I wanted to call out from earlier is I love the pairing between um, Rhodey and Nebula and how yep. they're very similar. And I love that Rhodey calls it out, too. He's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly a 100% person myself. And well, yeah, I, I thought that was cool. What, yeah, look, we work with what we, we got. Right, right. There you go. That's the line. And yeah. then here we go. Than Thanos is back. And um I'm of two minds of this. I I love that it's 2014 Thanos that mm -hmm. has to contend with the Avengers, but at the same time, I I there is that oh man, what if like that we can get that like I I cool if maybe you know Thanos did, hadn't got killed earlier. Of course, that would change the whole dynamic of the movie, perhaps. But to have that, you know, that more a more desperate Thanos, perhaps. But it just. But I'm I'm actually really cool with the direction that they took this, and again with Thanos not only being resolute when he's in the cabin with his arm chopped off, mm -hmm. but being resolute in his past self, seeing his head get chopped off. It's pretty. It, it's it, so there there is that through line of the character because I have seen the criticism that oh you know there's no emotional weight between Thanos and the Avengers and I agree with that to a point but at the same time we're still dealing with the exact same ideal I this the, the ideology the, uh, the 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 commitment the will well here's I, th that's important here's why it works and here's why it's not the same you know people say well. He's not the same guy because, you know, Gamora's not the same and Nebula's not the same, so therefore Thanos must not be the same. But to me, Thanos largely is. I mean, there yes, it's it's a different point in time, and we do see a little bit of a different mentality from Thanos in twenty fourteen, which I actually appreciate. I mean, the Russos call, you know, the Infinity War Thanos the philosopher, and they call this one, you know, the butcher. And I kind of like seeing that more savage version of Thanos, but I still think ultimately what is achieved over the course of the story is they bridge the gap between the two because this version of Thanos actually gets to see his future and and he is okay with his future. He's even okay with seeing himself be killed, being, seeing himself being beheaded, but he sees that he accomplished his mission. And so I, I think it bridges the gap between 2014 Thanos and 2018. And another, And I also don't think it's as big of a gap for him, as it is for Nebula and Gamora, because you just got to consider where all of these characters are at this point in the story. At this point, 
in 2014, Thanos has been alive much longer than Gamora and Nebula. So in terms of the overall percentage of his life that he's missing, it's much lower for Thanos than it is for Gamora or for Nebula. But more important than that, it's Thanos already knows exactly what he wants to do in 2014. He knows who he is and what he wants to do. He wants to get the stones and take out half the universe. He knows his life's right. mission already at this point. Gamora and Nebula were catching up with them at right before the critical moment of transition for each of them. Gamora finding her family and the Guardians and, and Peter Quill. And Nebula, this is before she's made her turn uh, and, and actually has turned against Thanos and decided that she wants to kill her father and is making that turn towards good. So it's not, it's a critical juncture for Nebula and Gamora where it's not as critical for Thanos. And that's why, to me, he still play even though, yeah, you could make the argument that it's two different guys – he still plays as the same guy to me, which is, and I think that's why you see him. He's very much the butcher in these 2014 sequences. But then when we flash forward to 2023 with the whole five years later thing, we start to see him calm down. Like he sits calmly and just waits for the Avengers to come to him. And he's monologuing Absolutely. when the Avengers come to him. Whereas, you know, I think if he initially immediately sees the Avengers, you know, maybe he just goes after them in 2014. But this version of Thanos, you know, getting the information and seeing everything, uh, you know, it makes it play completely uh, differently. So it works for me. But I don't want to talk over this bit, which is such an incredible setup. Oh, <laughs> yep. With the elevator scene. This, to, this, yeah. To make you think you're getting yeah, this, this is, again. This and then is the literally. Yeah. This is literally like, hey, I've, 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 I've got the, 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 uh, the secret boss code to skip the level. That's, yep. that's what Steve's doing here. And I just love it. And I love that everyone back. Rumlo, the other guy who looks like super angry and then and, and sit well here. I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, it's really such a cool, <laughs> just such a cool thing. And playing with the mythology of the MCU, they've built up so much of it for themselves over the past 11 years to be able to play with all of these kinds of things and just mess with our expectations. Like, oh, you think you're about to get another version of the elevator fight? Just kidding, Hail Hydra, which is so much better than any second version of the elevator fight could have ever been. Um, it's just, it's such a master yeah. stroke. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I had a feeling it was coming. I thought, oh, okay, they're kind of setting it up. They even show the same shot of the guy going for his his taser gun mm -hmm. thing. I'm just like, mm, I, I think he's going to say it. He's going to say it. And then he did. And again, another eruption moment in the theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Axe body spray. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, just incredible Robert Redford cameo here. Oh yeah, this is so cool how they were able to get so many people. Him and Natalie Portman mm -hmm. back, and you know, I'm sure there was conversations about Love and Thunder, perhaps to get her get her back, maybe. So yeah, well, the Russos they were saying during perhaps. the commentary that they used out to archived like outtake footage from Dark World for the Natalie Portman thing, which. Oh, which okay. at other points okay. in time, I, th I thought I could have sworn somebody had said that they did shoot new stuff with her. I know I know they didn't shoot as much as they originally planned to, but I thought that she had still done some new like green screen stuff that they just dropped in there with Rocket, but apparently not based on oh, what okay. uh, the Russo said in the commentary. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, either way, I'm glad glad Natalie yeah. Portman lo lo loosened up a little bit with the prospect of 
being all that Jane Foster can be. Yeah, and just so happy that Robert Redford is is in this movie. Oh, I mean, yeah. Robert Redford was kind of the movie star for my mom and dad, so that made him one of the first movie stars that I was aware of as a kid. I mean, especially in a movie like The Natural. You grow up as loving baseball, and of course, I mean, oh, not yeah. that The Natural is his best movie. There's a lot of other better Robert Redford movies. Uh, yeah, but for for all the, yeah, all the President's Men. Yeah, you can keep keep naming. Yeah, them. The Sting. I mean, like you, he, but he was kind of one of the first. For, just for me, I mean, one of the first ideas of what a movie star was. And I remember being so blown away when he was cast in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Just thinking, holy crap! Like that's that was the ultimate sign of respect for the MCU is that Robert Redford was going to be a part of it. Um, not that I, I mean, I already had my own respect for the MCU, but seeing the way that other actors might have had some respect for it, and maybe for him it was just a job. I don't know. I'm not inside his head, but um, I, I really liked the way that uh, you know to to see him back in this and get one last little moment with him uh, in the MCU was really uh, was really special. Oh yeah, him him coming into the MCU and the Winter Soldier and coming back for this definitely lends an air of legitimacy that you know just like you you and I are on the same page that doesn't necessarily need to be there because we already are are yeah. legitimately in love but I think it's still it's that extra cherry on top for us and then for the for the brighter the, the broader audience and maybe even other actors who are scoffing at the idea of being in an MCU movie it does it did I think legitimize it very much yep and. Cap versus Cap, another eruption yep. moment in the theater. And I love the quick setup of this. As Cap's walking out, he sees Loki impersonate him. So that's, you know, because yeah. this version of Cap would not have seen Thor the Dark World. So he doesn't know that that Loki impersonates him. So showing that in Endgame, uh, it it takes one second to set this up and make it believable in terms of what uh, what Cap would think. And we just get this incredible sequence of yeah. Captain America versus Captain America that, that also shows, I mean... I, I love Cap getting mildly annoyed by his own signature line. Oh, I yeah. love, uh, you know, exploiting yeah, know. E- exploiting the yeah. whole bit that, you know, that, you know, because he used to talk, he once said that, you know, when he hears the name Bucky, he just kind of freezes. And so he uses that <laughs> to freeze himself <laughs> yep. in this fight to end it. It's just, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing, the yeah, the yeah, you call it the uh, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. and then I and I love how he cusses too. Yeah, you know, this is the same guy who said language, and now he's like, oh, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> so I I love that. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean he does cuss a bit in uh, he also cusses in Age of Ultron, but yeah, I mean it just shows that it's it's a quick way of showing the growth of the character and that you know there's yeah this is still the same guy, but he has evolved. And, you know, so showing that and of course we get the America's ass line delivered by Captain America, which I don't totally believe (laughs) it's something Steve would have ever said. But at the same time, I don't mind it. It's great. Uh, I I think it's something that he just got done battling himself. He's catching a breath. He's looking down. He's like, you know what? Scott, Scott, Scott's kind of got a point there. Yeah. Well, I I mean, Steve at this point in his life has, (laughs) has taken enough shit from Tony to... You know, this is his own way of kind of getting back, <laughs> getting back at it. You know what? It Absolutely. is America's ass. Yeah. Screw Tony. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, we're friends and I love the guy. You know, we still, you know, and I'm glad we resolved our issues, but screw that guy. Yeah, because, yeah, that's, that's, that was unnecessary that this, yep. the suit didn't do wonders for your butt. <laughs> and, and I, I love, love this. Yeah. Yep. I love it for so many reasons. I mean, it's... I, for some, for anybody who thinks that you know they they needed to set the rules, you know, or they set the rules too many times in this movie, this actually is an update on the rules in terms of what has to happen with the Infinity Stones when they're done with their mission. So this is not the same 
as what uh, was being explained before the test run. So it's, it's not the same as that. And also, um, the Russos have talked about how when they were testing this movie, that people weren't getting it until they added more of this stuff, you know, to, say, to make it right. clear what the rules of this of their version of time travel would be. Is this a pickup and, shot then? Um, th- I think so. Yeah. Well, I know they shot this. I'm pretty sure they shot this during the second run of principal photography that happened uh, from around like September and into October of last year of 2018. Because remember, they shot they were originally going to shoot 100 percent of the movie, you know, right after Infinity War. But they stopped at about the Russo's estimated about 85 percent because of. they did about 85% because they just needed to finish, focus on finishing Infinity War in post. So then they, uh, you know, they pretty much had, it wasn't the normal additional photography that Marvel has. That happened too for this movie. That happened back in January of, uh, of 2019. But they mm-hmm. had a kind of almost a delayed principal photography period from uh, September through October of 2018. And I think mm-hmm. this might have been added there. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but... They did say that you know they did have to go back and, and shoot more things like the and I don't know if they were talking to about the, this scene specifically or if they were talking about the they might have been talking about the the scene right before the test run. I think they were to, I think I, I think the test run stuff definitely got reshot and maybe they redid a little bit of this one as well uh, because they did want to add some clarity to their time travel rules. But also, uh, real quickly, more important than the time travel minutia is Tilda Swinton's performance there i mean the just the look on her face when she's you know yep. she says what did you say when he said when banner reveals that that strange gave up the time stone um you know and her coming to the real, realization and, and trusting Stephen strange uh before you know in this version of the ancient one hasn't even met Stephen strange she just has remember she's seen every moment of her life up until her death um you know so just trusting Stephen strange that far in advance is is pretty great yeah, absolutely. And the the one thing about may, maybe getting back into the minutia a little bit, it does make me wonder the setup for Doctor Strange 2 in terms of the time stone being out of the loop for those five years. But now that it is, Steve said it right, I, I wonder would Dormammu had a chance or or Nightmare or somebody had a chance to sort of set, full, set mm. foot in our world in a more subtle and, of course, um, uh, as they're alluding to, a more horror-driven direction for, for the yeah. sequel. So that'll be interesting if, if Doctor Strange 2 or Doctor Strange, the, the, the Nightmare World, whatever they're going to call it, um, ends up picking up on, on that um, thread a little bit, or they just kind of going to go into a, a different direction, so... Yeah, definitely curious about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, well, there is no time stone now. Well, I mean, for, for that, that five year period, and I just wonder well, if there's going to be which five year period, the five year gap. The yeah, twenty. Well, it, I mean, there's still no even after that five year gap, there's still no time stone because they put it back. So it, there is that question, but it also comes down to how much you want to look into the semantics of what the ancient one said, because if you remove a stone. Versus the Thanos, what Thanos said, which is, you know, he did say they were gone. I used the stones to destroy the stones, but he originally phrased it as he reduced them to atoms. So if they're atomized, they still may technically exist in the space, even if they're not done in a way that can be wielded by anyone. And so uh, okay. because the because the atoms of, the, of all the stones exist, it doesn't necessarily disrupt the time flow. But 
Obviously, nobody can use the Time Stone against Dormammu should he come back. Doctor Strange would have to find some other way to defeat him other than a time loop. Okay, I have to say right now, I didn't even think about this, Sean, that the Time Stone is gone and that Doctor Strange isn't protecting that anymore. No, he's not. You know, That's, he might oh, have to weird. put something else in the eye of Agamotto. I don't know. It wasn't originally a time stone in the comics, so maybe they'll do well, something well, else. Right. But... Yeah, of course. But so there's got to be something else. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And this, I mean, oh, as yeah. we said, heart this of the film, everything. heart of the film with Thor. And a great way of showing how endings can be different for characters. You know, Tony, very literal ending in the sense that, okay, he sacrificed himself. He's dead. He's gone. Steve, you know, went back and lived a life, and, and now he's an old man, and he's past the point of, of being a superhero, at least as far as we know right now. But for Thor, you didn't have to end his story by literally ending his story and saying he's not, he, he won't continue from here. We're ending this major arc of the past, you know, several years, since the first Thor film in 2011, that this guy's entire life has been about who he's meant to be, and we're going to release him from that via this scene with his mom and then, of course, him acknowledging it at the end of the movie to say that now, you know, the next chapter for Thor, you know, and, and it really is brand new because we're completely past this point of the idea of who he's supposed to be and this is going to be Thor being being who he is and being proud of that and just moving forward with his life. And, and as he says, for the first time in a thousand years, I have, or as he will say in this movie, for the first time in a thousand years, I have no path. And I and I love that, that Marvel shows that, that there are different ways to end a story. Uh, and even for a character who's who will have another story, they can still have a major arc that, that comes to a close. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 just the whole I mean you know, and, and, and the, the movie, I mean, and you had mentioned earlier with the, uh, you know, losing the weight doesn't solve the internal issue. I, I love that, you know, it, this conversation with his mom, him summoning Mjolnir, mm-hmm. know, knowing he's still worthy, that, that even though you can be on maybe, you know, not, not, the, not the most ideal path in your life, you can be maybe... Uh, very depressed, very mm-hmm. out of whack, but that doesn't make you less of a person, less right? of an internal, yes. you know, to, to to the heart of who you are. Yeah, I love that. Of Absolutely. course, you know, it it also just it, and and I just love how you know Rocket. You must be mom. Rocket even respects because of the conversation they had in Infinity mm-hmm. War. He respects that. Okay, this is a moment where I I can just. You know, I should yep. shut up. I got yep. guys on my tail. We got it. Yeah, we got to go. But, but he needs important. a second. Yep. Right. He needs this. He needs this. Yeah. And I just this, this is great. I just and re- eat a salad. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just remember. I mean, I cheered aloud the first time I saw this movie. As soon as he reached his hand out, you know, some people I don't oh, yeah. think everybody knew exactly what that meant. But as soon as he reached his hand out, I knew like he's summoning Mjolnir and that's going to oh, happen yeah. right now. Yep. And, oh, yeah. you know, in, in knowing Knowing that time travel was going to be a part of this movie, you know, or there had been a lot of speculation about that. So I figured, you know, that we could see another version of of Mjolnir if they're going back in time to get Infinity Stones. Maybe they'll go back and they'll get uh, Mjolnir as well. And but it's not just Mjolnir for Mjolnir's sake or even for the very important sake of the the Captain America moment later. It's what that means to Thor that all of my grief, all of my depression, they have not rendered me unworthy. I am still worthy 
for as much mm-hmm. as I've you know punished myself over these past five years, I am still worthy. And, and, and now having had this conversation with my mother, I feel like I am healed or I am beginning to heal. And it's, it's so incredibly beautiful. And this is beautiful in a different way, in a hilarious way, mm-hmm. to yep. show what the Sorry. dance sequence on Morag was really like when you're not in a mm-hmm. theater and surround sound, but you're just in this temple of the power stone singing to yourself on your head <laughs> with your Walkman. <laughs> this is what it's actually like. I love flipping that perspective. Yeah, that was great. And just Rhodey's reaction. Oh, so so he's an idiot. And maybe was like, yeah. And just totally the perfect transition, you know, to have this this up, you know, to to hand it off from Thor's triumphant moment getting Mjolnir and still being worthy to this very happy kind of celebration with Peter Quill. Uh it's it is kind of the perfect extension of of the happiness that we're feeling in that moment with Thor. Absolutely, because the the song transition actually come the come and get mm-hmm. your love comes in when it's yep. still on the Thor shot, and yep. I love that. Yeah, so great. Mm-hmm. I love how Nebula doesn't need the tools that Peter Quill needed to uh, get the orb <laughs> out. Nope. <laughs> Had a great cool. moment between her and Rhodey. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think it's. Uh, it's a little underrated in, in terms of what this means uh, because, you know, for Rhodey, this is something he's been dealing with for the past few years. Well, I mean, I guess you, you add in the civil war time and it's been five years since then. So it's been about seven years for Rhodey, um, you know, dealing with his paralysis, but Nebula, I mean, this has been her entire life is being pulled up, you know, pulled apart, put back together, reassembled with machine parts and, and almost starting to think of herself as, as more of a machine than a person. And so I think hearing that, from Rhodey is, is very, very important to her. Yep. Absolutely. And this is just so huge for me, for Thanos from a character perspective. Yes. Yeah. What makes him such a great antagonist is the 100% belief in what he's doing to the point where it doesn't, it doesn't phase him even a little bit that he sees him. He watches himself get beheaded and it doesn't bother him in the slightest because all that matters is that he won. His life's right. mission that he's got on it, that he's wanted to do this whole time, like he achieved it. Because right now, at this point in time, he pr- he's probably very confident, but he still doesn't know 100% that he's going to do it. He learns that he's done it. He's learned that he was victorious, and that's it. He fulfills his destiny. What happened after that, including his own death, doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that goes back into more of what I was saying earlier about, you know, bringing up the, the counter-argument to, oh, man, there's not really a connection. This is the connection. Mm-hmm. This does bridge the Infinity Absolutely. War Thanos with the 2014 Thanos, and this is why this is so vitally important, and this is why he he seems a little less berserker, although he does go nuts in the final battle, don't be wrong, but he does go back to that, that philosopher's mentality, like you said, Sean, when he is yep. sitting there, and this scene is huge with that, and uh, just and just the way he's playing everything mm-hmm. still. He's playing Gamora, he's playing Nebula still. Well, also, the di- it's- yeah, the difference in his demeanor, I mean, and the difference in his facial expressions, like when he first walks on the ship covered in blood, you know, with all the intensity, but then he watches, he sees that he's survived or that he's accomplished his mission. And all of a sudden he's very calm. He's got, he's got a little bit, even a little bit of a grin on his face and he gently caresses Gamora's cheek. Like all right. of a sudden he is becoming that kinder, gentler Thanos, if you really want to call it that. 
um, well, but more of that philosopher it, it, kind of approach. And so like that's that to me is what makes even though, yes, these are this is Thanos in different points in time. Uh, you know, the, as as we've been saying, it's it is the bridging of the gap that happens there. And that's why I don't feel like we didn't see the Avengers take on or, or have a real battle with the uh, the Infinity War Thanos. I feel like bridging it allows that to happen. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love Tony just sitting in the car here. <laughs> yeah. And Scott is. <laughs> yeah, we do. Like <laughs> we got a problem. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, and it's also great that Scott is the one who didn't screw up and is mad at, at Tony. And, you know, because yeah. Scott's usually the guy that you would expect of everybody on the Avengers to be the one who bungled something. Because um, he, well, he also hasn't really had that much interaction with the Avengers. So. You know, to, for him to be the guy who didn't screw up and is mad at, at Tony, uh, it's pretty uh, pretty hilarious. But you know, it, it sets we, up we, something it sets up something really incredible for Tony and Steve. You know, and I was I was being kind of harsh on this next scene when we were doing our kind of a, a watch through uh, last week, and I remember saying this ne- the the 1970s uh, Shield scene where Tony meets his dad and and whatever. It was hard for me. I just want to get to straight to shields uh, or uh, not shields of uh, uh, portals. And uh, it was funny because, Sean, you made a great point saying I think that's, you know, it's as hard because, you know, it's in, it's you know, you're anticipating. That's why you yeah. want to get there. And I think that's pretty much it where I had why I had a hard time going back because I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the theater, I didn't know what, what was coming and I was just in for the ride. And, it, and that wasn't how I was feeling at the moment. Knowing that's coming, it's harder for me to wait or to wait through it. It's not bad necessarily. It just for me, I just want you know if I'm if I'm I'll be honest if I'm going to be watching it on my own, I might skip that part. I know that's I know that's not what everyone will do, and a lot of people will watch that through because it is a good scene. But I just want to get to portals, and and uh, but I also want to get there from watching the majority of the movie. It's yeah. just one of those weird things. Okay, well, here we get Stan's last ever cameo, and which is just. I mean, that much more special. So glad. I mean, not that I ever wanted there to be a last Stanley cameo, but if there was going to be one, uh, and inevitably there was, I'm, I'm so glad it's in this one. Um, you know, and, and I love the Nuff Said bumper sticker edition. Yes. But also, really quickly, to jump back to that conversation be- uh, between Tony and Steve before they jump to 1970, you know, that last little bit, that exchange of Tony saying, do you trust me? And Steve says, I do. But then Tony still defers to Cap. He says, your call. And then he says, here we go, which is that thing that Tony, you know, that was part of learning, you know, part of Tony with the Avengers was learning to be, you know, not necessarily be the captain, you know, not just because Steve Rogers is called Captain America, but to let him be the leader of the team and let him make the call, uh, which he does there before they go to 1970. Also, real quick, which you might have seen in the uh, or heard in the commentary, when we see two guys walk into the bunker, the first guy walking into the bunker who's wearing the hat is Christopher Marcus, one of the writers of this film. Um, and then, of course, we get another community cameo with Yvette Nicole Brown. Ah, very cool. People didn't re- react to her the same way that they did to the um, the guy in the storage. So I didn't no, well, I I th- quite I pick so, up on anything. I think Ken Jeong is more famous outside of community than than Yvette Nicole Brown is. I mean, I, I think she's. Got it. He, she, I mean, she doesn't have anything as mainstream as you know, The Hangover and, and other films that that Ken Jong has been a part of. And, and plus a lot of people saw crazy rich Asians last year, which Ken Jong was also a part. 
So, I mean, there, he's definitely got a, a higher profile amongst general movie-going audiences than uh, than Yvette Nicole Brown does. I also have to sure. say, I, I want like, her. I want her a little shield emblem thing. That's awesome. Oh, that shield badge is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just love uh, Howard saying Arnhem. Good Arnhem Zola Easter egg that yep. you get here. <clears throat> One of those beatniks, are you, Potts? Yeah. <laughs> As uh, Stephen McFeely also shared, um, the reason sauerkraut is in there is because that's what Stephen McFeely's own mother craved when she was pregnant with him. Aww. <laughs> Very cool. Everyone's got something. It's either pickles or yeah, <laughs> yeah so, something, something. But this is just so great. I mean, Tony's issues with his father, it's been going on ever since the first Iron Man film. We've known that this was, you know, this was one of the, the wounds that he hasn't really been able to heal for himself. And we see it again, explored even further in, in Iron Man 2. We don't get as much of it in, in Iron Man 3, but obviously there's plenty of it in like Avengers and Civil War because you have somebody like Captain America, like Steve Rogers, whom you know Howard raved about and had a lot of respect for, and, and Tony's wondering you know why his dad didn't uh, feel even a little bit of that same way towards him. Uh, so for Tony to be able to see this, uh, have this meeting with his father, it's, uh, it's just essential to, uh, to healing him. And... Uh, Paul, I know you're you're loving the Ant Man helmet. Oh, the Ant Man helmet is yeah, yeah, man. You know, seeing that Ant Man helmet, it's it's an Easter egg. You, you kind of wish you could see it like in practical use. Maybe we'll still still see it at some point, but sure. Yeah, this this stuff is just comic Marvel. Them it just come to life for me. It's, seeing that stuff is amazing. Well, it's just you know, to me, it's almost granted it's not being worn here, but it's it's similar to Captain America: The First Avenger and the the Star Spangled right. Man costume of like, okay, yeah. here's what the literal translation of that looks like. Doesn't quite work, but you know, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's fun. So we're gonna and so for this one, yeah, we don't see Hank. And clearly, that would be a prototype anyway, because based on the way the pin particle works, you have to be fully encased you can't have an open mouth like there has to be you know oh, that's yeah. why you have to have the helmet on when you shrink and that's why everybody here you know the suits come on all the way including having the the helmet lock in uh in order to uh in order to be able to go into the quantum realm so Good point. that version yeah. of the helmet would not work based on the explanation of the pin particle and, and how the mechanics of it in the mcu but you oh. can still have something oh, that, that's a bridge between those yeah, see, I always thought the helmet, I mean, when I saw that Easter egg, I just figured that was his initial device to control the ants. No. And that's it. No. Um, oh, okay. It is, uh, it's necessary for that. That's why when Scott's arrested in the first Ant-Man, he puts the helmet back on in the back of a cop car while he's cuffed before he shrinks. Um, it's also why Darren Cross, that's why he had to discover when he was trying to uh, shrink lambs and kill them, what, he figured out how to do it when he encased it in something. No, right. I understand all that, yeah. but I mean the the helmet that we saw just now. I, oh, yeah, I thought yeah. rather than be a pin particle. Oh, it might have been that. Yeah, right. It was just a, a, the the transceiver to communicate with the ants and nothing more. Could have been. That's 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 what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. This is here's yeah. where here's where he, Steve gets to start making a decision. Well, I think he starts to make that decision earlier when Tony comes off the ship after getting rescued by Captain Marvel. Mm. He he is carrying him over with pots and or with, with pepper, excuse me. Um, 
and uh, he he's looking at them. I mean, if if you kind of look, he is, look at but him he does, bit, it's at that point nuanced. at that point he has no idea that this is even possible. Though I mean, this is there's that Steve doesn't even doesn't know time travel exists. Um, Absolutely, you know, but I that, think um, that that's where the crave really. I mean, not that the crave has the, the crave started earlier, but yeah. that's where the crave kind of continues as a through line for for Steve. And then, but yes, right here is where I. He's yeah. He you're right. He's got a decision to make. Yeah. Well, and that, this is where he's connecting it. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going back in time. That creates possibilities. Um, but this Absolutely. this final exchange here between Tony and his dad is is so great, and, and I think there's a lot of honesty to it in terms of human relationships and and these guys. You know the. The failures of parents, you know, the shortcomings of parents and then, you know, the memories that live on in the kids, which is not to excuse any abusive situations. But when you when you have imperfect, flawed people trying to do doing the best that they can to raise their kids uh, and knowing that really what they are is, you know, human being, you know, because we we think of our parents as these individuals who have it all figured out until we reach adulthood and we realize, oh, we're all just winging it. And doing the best that yep. we can, and yep. so for Tony to kind of see that in his dad, and that his dad did have the best of intentions, even if he ultimately wasn't the best father, um, you know, and and Tony understands that, you know, from the per- being a father now, of just you know, you remember your your parents aren't perfect, but you tend to it's the memories of the good stuff that that lives on, and I, I just love that yeah. bit and, and giving him that hug. Well, and and also tell him that everything's going to be okay. Yep. It's not just for Howard; it, it's for him. Yep, absolutely. Man. And that, that no matter what happens, even if if Morgan grows up without a father, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and I love the great uh, James Darcy cameo from Agent Carter as Jarvis. I know a lot of people reacted to this in the theater. I think most of those people just reacted to the name Jarvis without necessarily knowing. Uh, based yep. on the ratings for Agent Carter, there's no way all those people were watching Agent Carter. So, they, oh, I'm, they, yep, I'm, I'm a one of them. That's, that's on my yeah, list. They, I, I, they, I gotta get to it. They popped for the name, not for the actor, but I, I love that James Darcy is in there. And so you finally have a Marvel television show that, well, some of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. qualifies, but you have finally have another Marvel television show, um, that plays into the movies a bit. I also love the fact that they use the, um, like, like for instance, in the in, in Iron Man, they make Jarvis the AI, right? Like that's yep. obvious. And again, that's a play for the fact that Jarvis is the butler of of Iron Man slash the Avengers. And then they morph that into Vision. I mean, and and but it's also a reason why he calls it Jarvis because he grew up with Jarvis mm-hmm. as like basically a an uncle essentially. So I just love that con- those connections that he, you know, he would name as, you know, someone that he, you know, he trusts in, in everything and, and, and talks to on a regular basis, something that his father probably talked to on a regular basis and trusted. It, it's just, it's cool. I love, but I also love it. It's also a, still a callback to the comics. It's, it's really one of the great things that again, the MCU has, has adjusted with, but also still paid uh, homage to. No, Absolutely. And so we've had uh, we've had some pretty positive momentum, and just in terms of handling tone, I mean, we go from the happier tone of you know celebrating on Morag and, and Tony getting the closure that he's looking for in 1970 to this slightly darker scene of you know starting to uncover Thanos's plan, and that transitions into you know the one of if not the darkest scene in this movie on uh, on Vormir, 
And while I understand this is a sequence that a lot of people, you know, some people don't like, they don't like that Natasha dies in this sequence. And I know people throw around the word fridging and, and I just don't agree with that in this sequence because it's, it's a hundred percent her choice. And yeah. I also don't think, you know, some people say, well, Natasha, you know, her life is seen as less worthy as Clint's uh, because she doesn't have a family and that's not the point that this movie is making. The point that this movie is making is that she does have a family and that that's what she's sacrificing herself for. And these are both heroes. There's no way either one of these characters is going to say, yeah, you be the one to die. They're just, it, there's no way. They were always going to fight to be the one to sacrifice themselves. And as we saw in Avengers, Natasha in hand-to-hand combat is going to beat Clint. And so, you know, it's... Natasha has complete agency in this, and she makes the choice, and I don't think there's anything cheap about it. I think this is, I I don't see it so much about wiping out the red in her ledger, because I feel like that is, most, most of that is settled by now. The more important point is that when Clint feels like he's the one who deserves to die because of what he's been doing as Ronan for the past five years, she says, you know, that... Uh, you know, she says, well, you didn't judge me. And she says, you know, and he, cause he said like, I don't judge people or when she says, I don't judge people by their worst mistakes. And he says, maybe you should. And she says, you didn't like the point is like, she's not judging herself for her past. And she's also not judging him for his past. It's just, it's going, one of them has to die and she's not going to let it be her friend. She's going to make that sacrifice. Cause the one thing that she's wanted this whole time is to bring back her family whatever it takes. And so I, I think it's an extraordinary noble, it's a very noble and heroic choice that, uh, that she makes that that's, that's what it is for me. And so it completely works. Absolutely. Um, the, the only, um, the only sort of, uh, I guess, critique i would have with the scene is i actually wish they changed up the uh the landscape in the sky a little bit so that it didn't look exactly like infinity war that maybe we see mm. like us like a sunset instead i i just thought that you know they 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 could have done that differently it, it's a such a minor nitpick but but i just thought like oh you know it just looks kind of the the same and so that that's it but other than that this is great and, and i love that look they exchange each other <laughs> yeah we we yeah when he says when 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 uh when Clint sort of realizes uh oh I think Matt has the same idea I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that it you know it kind of starts out as this. Um, it does feel like it you know it starts out as this very kind of sad thing and then almost they try to. Uh, you know, it's like they try to they try to make light of the situation as best they can, but you know, eventually it you know it kind of it overtakes them. You know, I mean, even kind of like, like you said, it was Clint is almost almost laughing it off uh, at the beginning, and then you know, so I think we're starting to I think we mean two different people here, but you know, the, the sobering realization sets in, and you know, and I think the other key part of this, you know, as far as Natasha. You know, when people say, oh, Natasha deserves to die or Clint, Natasha doesn't think either one of them deserve to die. That's why a key right. point in that line is, you think I want to do it? I'm trying to save your life, you idiot. 
Like it's that thing of right. like one of us has to go. It's a screwed up situation. Neither one of us deserves to die. The only problem is one of us has to in order to achieve our goal. And between even if these two individuals didn't know each other, Natasha as a hero is going to choose to sacrifice herself over somebody else. But the fact that they know each other, it's that much more. You're not going to let your friend be the one. If you're a hero, you're not going to be the one saying to your friend, yeah, I'm fine with you being the one to go. Yeah, this whole scene was such a surprise. I did not expect this to happen. And for some reason, again, when they went to Voromir, I didn't. I thought something else, again, was going to happen. Again, subverting expectations. I expected something, you know, someone else, like maybe Gamora come out of the Soul Stone or something like that. I mean, I wasn't expecting that necessarily, but I thought something was going to happen with that. And sure enough, this was something I did not expect. And again, it, again, the whole idea of the family and the whole idea of, of the five-year gap of, of, of the failure of getting to Natasha – all this plays in into the scene and it makes it all worth it for me where I'm like, man, it makes this death so much more tragic than what yeah. it, it really, you know, it's just, again, they pay off every, a lot, so many different things in this scene. And it, it, even though I'm not a fan of the this characterization of Hawkeye from this, you know, the MCU, this movie does pay off that new characterization that I don't necessarily necessarily like. I do accept it in this movie and like it in this movie because of the scenes and, and these and the way Clint is in this movie and what Natasha does ultimately. Yeah, well, and I also think it's, you know, in terms of the, the love and respect that Clint has for her, like, he watches her all the way down. You know, you can see with Renner, like, he keeps looking down as she's falling. He doesn't look away, and that's just long enough for her to have hit, and then he still, you know, looks back, and that's when we see, you know, the shot of her of her body. And I... It, it's almost like I mean it's it's tragic and it's terrible, but it's almost Clint's way of like not leaving her until she's gone. Yep, and I, and I know it's it's a meme, but man, I, I I would really love to in some form or another see how that exchange went between uh, Cap and Red Skull bringing the uh, stone back. Yeah, I think uh, the Russos told they they joked about it in one of their recent spoiler Q and A is about, you know, the funny thing would be if cap acted like he didn't recognize him. <laughs> like who? Oh, sorry, man. That was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. I actually love, love that meme though. Welcome oh, yeah. Steve, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. You know, just the roadie, you know, did we act, you know, did this actually work? And then, yeah, everyone's looking knees. around. Yeah, everyone's looking around like, all right, we can do this. And then, nope. Yep. I mean, they won. But... And the Hulk's the first one to ask. Yep. But they Hulk's won, the but first uh... one to ask because he's the Yeah. Yeah. The he's relation... the one that had a serious relationship with her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's just that, just that initial excitement of, of feeling like this actually worked and then, you know, realizing, yeah, it worked, but not for free. Right. And this is an important scene. Uh, well, it's it, every scene in here is important. So, right. but like, God, I love this. It's the originals. It's just them mm -hmm. grieving for the loss of the sixth member. And the, I don't know. It's just super important. And I love how everyone. And I read this somewhere. This isn't my own original thought. I love how each different Avenger represents a different stage of grief. Mm. So. Ooh. Like uh, Thor is the is angry. Uh, 
Clint is is sort of um, accepting of it. You know, Steve Steve is is um, oh, yeah. I forget what it is, but yeah, you, you'd have to look at it. Sorry. Yeah. It's, well, Thor so, is definitely Thor is uh, you know he's denial and anger a little bit. Right. Right. And not, yeah. yeah. Well, it, and then and that's right. Hulk is anger because of picking yeah. up the bench and yeah, throwing yeah. it, and then. Uh, Everyone else. Well, I'm I'm sure anyone can look it up. I I forget how it went down, but yeah, I no. that's that was a pretty cool thing that I read. And I think effectively this serves as the Natasha Romanoff funeral. I mean, there's a question of Tony got a funeral. Why didn't Natasha? And my assumption is Natasha did get a funeral, but you know we don't necessarily see it. Uh, part of that is because it's you know she's getting her own movie next year. So even though it's set in the past, but I, I think it's also because you know. This is the most important part of what a funeral scene with Natasha would have been. It's these guys who knew her the best, uh, you know, this portion of her yep. family, and they we see them talking about her and and, grief, and and mourning her loss. And just the the remarkable another example of just the remarkable tone management is you know we transitioned into darker, and now we get the intensity of putting the stones back, and Rocket is going to snap us out of it. And I, I just think that it's incredible the way that they do it. It's so impressive to be able to have these, you know, to be able to balance tone and go back and forth the way that they do and to have things be legitimately funny and hopeful without undercutting the things that are sad and, you know, the things that are tragic in these, uh, in, in this, in these movies in general, but in this particular film, uh, it, it just continues to be, uh, as I said, it just continues to be so impressive. The fact that Thor is wants to be the one to do it so badly is just yeah, it's just it's so perfect. It's so yeah. perfect, and yeah. I yes. Well, and also too, it's it's interesting because he's a god. Like so, it, you know, it, everything. It's almost like he would make the most sense from that standpoint. But obviously, he's not emotionally he's not emotionally capable of doing it right at this point. Yeah, and that's what's so so crazy he has he probably he probably should be the one over with hulk at this point but he just can't do it emotionally they, they you know it's it's a really really amazing idea and seeing this part i i love it so much yep yeah absolutely i, I love and it that's, yeah well yeah, and i just absolutely. love that hulk. and that's oh go ahead andrew Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I love that Tony says you're in no condition. And he doesn't mean physically. He means internally, again, just yeah. going back to what we've been talking about this whole time. So that's, that, that was my two cents. Yeah, no, and I, I just love that Hulk is the one who, who steps up here. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and look, strongest Avenger. So, like, it, it's the one. I mean, I know Thor likes to say he's <laughs> the strongest Avenger, strongest Avenger, but according to the Quinjet voice code, he is not. He's point break. Hulk is the strongest right. Avenger. And I just love that uh, that Bruce Banner steps up and you know Hulk being my as as I've said before I mean Hulk was my favorite Marvel character growing up that's the character who got me into Marvel and so for him to be the one to have this heroic moment because this is the rare film in fact the only one in which Hulk appears where he doesn't have a big action beat he doesn't have yep. one in this entire film but he and I would if I were to nitpick, I would still say I would love to see him get one in the final battle. Um, if they could have thrown one in there somewhere, any other action beat he could have had in this movie, none of it would mean as much as this. Hulk gets to be the guy who puts on the gauntlet, snaps his fingers, and brings everybody home. That is just that means the world to me as a Hulk fan. But I also think in the story, it fits so beautifully. Because even though we missed you know, this transition of, you know we didn't get it all with deleted scenes and everything, that Hulk has kind of become... 
a very public superhero in this five-year gap. But to, to have him be the guy who kind of left Earth or ended up going through a wormhole because, you know, didn't, you know, didn't want to stop at, at Avengers Age, at the end of Age of Ultron because the world was afraid of him to be the guy who saves the to, who saves this world and so many others. Uh, it's just it's beautiful storytelling. Yeah. And I love, you know, this also shows a little difference in power level between these different characters like Thanos even Thanos is better able to absorb the power of the stones than uh, than Hulk is, and Hulk is able to do it a little bit better than obviously Tony can. But I also think you know some people say like, well, what's why is Eitri so special if Tony Stark could just make a gauntlet? But it's not just Tony; it's Tony Banner and Rocket who make this nano gauntlet, and so you know those three minds make a gauntlet, and it's still I would say probably not as good as Eitri's gauntlet. I think that's part of the reason yep. that Hulk is being scarred is while he's probably not quite as durable as Thanos, it's also probably the nano gauntlet not being able to uh, hold in and harness the power of the stones as effectively as Eitri's gauntlet does. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's not properly channeling the energy. I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And this was, and I, and I love, yeah, just more misdirection. Another masterclass in misdirection here is that we're, we just saw Thanos' ship come through. We just saw it, and I'm totally forgetting about it here. Going back to the first time I'm watching the movie, Hulk snaps his fingers. I'm totally into this discovery that the Avengers are, you know, that they've done it. They've brought everybody back, and we're seeing uh, Clint, um, you know, we're seeing Clint receive this call from, uh, from his wife. And so we're thinking everything's, you know, I'm, I'm fooled into thinking everything's okay until it's suddenly not. And I'm realizing that I've, I've completely forgotten a major thing that just happened. Yeah, absolutely. You stole the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was about to say too. I love the peaceful serenity, the birds, the phone, the look on Scott's face. And then I love that you just see the shadow come across Hulk's mm-hmm. face and then boom, the missile just, and it's just this barrage, just this insane barrage where it's like, I don't know how these guys survived, but you know, they did. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of luck and, uh, which is fine. They've had enough luck not go their way. Um, Clint, in particular, is the one that I have the hardest time <laughs> figuring out how he survived. Well, sure. And, I mean, and we, absolutely. And you can see Scott. Thing, so I accept it. Yeah, exactly. One, you can see Scott shrink as soon as the explosion happens. He actually shrinks. And then, obviously, Tony was already armored up. Cap was wearing his armor. Thor and Hulk, obviously. And, and, and Rhodey had his armor. So, I mean, Clint's the only one who's who's the mere mortal who was, wasn't otherwise protected. But, I mean, it's all right. Yeah, no, totally. But just like that, I, I just love how brutal, quick, and un, unforgiving that that missile barrage was. That was really like that. That that really made me go to the theater. Like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah, and I love Hulk. Just, I mean, it's it's not an action beat, but still showing his his strength level here of just holding up this huge chunk of the compound, you know, and all this debris, all this rubble on top of him. Which, I mean, it's just very iconic Hulk. I mean, I know that. Some people have likened it to, you know, an issue of Secret Wars where Hulk basically holds up a mountain. There's that, but there's also, I mean, there's iconic comic book covers where Hulk is doing that. Like, it's just, you know, to capture that kind of imagery in this movie is, is just such a nice touch. And I love that Marvel looks out for those kinds of things. You know, yeah. it's not, they're not calling a lot of attention to it. It's just in there. And for those who, you know, know some of those more famous comic book images, they pop for it. And for everybody else, 
they don't have to pop for it. It still just looks cool. And so I, I think Marvel, they, they know how to, they always know how to work that stuff in. It's, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the beauty of these. This is so great. I love, love, love this. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I love that the Outriders are back. I mean, they're not the only ones that are going to be back, but, uh, you know, also, I mean, in this big time traveling adventure movie that's got these big emotional moments, here's just a little bit of like scary, almost horror type of stuff for a couple seconds, you know, like, and they can just, they can incorporate so many different tones into this movie and, and have it all, have it all balance out. I love it. Yeah, it almost reminded me of Aliens when um, they're uh, barricaded in and it's the red light and Hicks goes up to the rafters to see if they're coming and he shines a light and there they are. That's what that reminded me of. Yeah. I love that he waits. I love that he sits down and Mm -hmm. just puts his helmet back on and is going to wait. They're going to come to me. Yeah, in some ways it's old school Thanos because he is sending somebody to go get the stones, but that's not really the point here. He knows exactly. he knows that the Avengers are coming for him. I mean, because well, he already he, knows who the Avengers are. I mean, we saw him say that, you know, when he's when he was watching the replay video earlier. Like he knows who the Avengers are. He knows they're going to come for him, and he wants that fight. You, you and, guys, you guys tried to take my ultimate victory. You've been trying to take my ultimate victory away from me. I want to fight you. Like I, I want you to come after me, and I want to take you all out, and I want you all to see it. I want you to see, you know, I want you to you all to see me as I kill each and every one of you. Right. Absolutely. And even as Nebula is walking away, you see it really quickly, but Thanos turns his head to the left. Yep. I, I think he's already looking at Thor, looking at him probably already. Yeah. yeah. That's already happening because when we get to back to that, it's, it's cap and I, and, and Tony coming up yep. behind Thor and Thor is already looking at him. So I, I actually wish they just quickly put in a shot of, of, you know, maybe pan over and see Thor, come up in the background or something i mean again minor little what if nitpick whatever you want to call it but yeah Yeah. i i love that and so here yeah here we get into this scene and they they join up with and it's just it's the original it's it's the three it's it's the big three yeah i love that yeah i mean these are the guys who each had their own individual trilogy within this infinity saga and you know it's these are the guys who've been really at the forefront uh, as far as heroes go, not to take anything away from any of the other heroes or any other characters that have been introduced, but it's, Absolutely. it's, it's boiled down to these three, you know, at the front of it. And, you know, to see this, I mean, this is part of the, you know, this is so good and so engaging that I'm forget. I mean, this shot, I mean, this wide shot of these three yeah. heroes and there's Thanos. Mm-hmm. And I'm so engaged with, by this that I don't, I know all the other in my head. I know all the other heroes are back, but I'm not even thinking about it because I'm just so into this moment. I'm so present in this moment, watching the movie, uh, which is what makes On Your Left and Portal so effective. And Thor, the eyes light, you know, lighting up the lightning and thunder. I mean, and all of a sudden, boom, Mjolnir, Stormbreaker, and it's on. Like, and the beard gets braided. We're good to go. (laughs) Like, yep, it's just incredible. And then walking up to him which they've likened to, you know, classic Westerns of, you know, this is kind of their, their idea here with this shot of these heroes walking up to him. 
And Thanos monologuing here, I mean, this is just such part of what makes him a great villain is, man, the dialogue they give him and, and Brolin's delivery, it's so good. I mean, you could not live with your own failure, and where did that bring you? Back to me. Like, cocky SOB. Cool. Like, just, oh. Yeah. But redefining his mission, too. You know, yes. So, like, it's, you know, it's... It's not that different, but it's it shows. But what it shows, you know, for the Avengers is the the stakes this time, which is, you know, he did uh, obviously what he did before was was bad enough. But if they lose, uh, there will be no there will be no one left to undo it. Uh, right. You know that this this really truly, if there's any doubt as to whether or not this is their last shot at stopping him, uh, it removes that doubt. This is it. It's this or nothing. Yep, I'm gonna rip this universe, or the reality, down to its last atom. Yep. that's just that's chilling, and that's mm-hmm. that's where I was like, yeah, here we go. This this is Thanos. I don't care if it's 2014 or 2023 yeah. or whatever. This yeah. is this this is this is him. Absolutely, no doubt. And oh man. I love and it. I love that he's got his armor. Of course, I yep. I just thought that that was a good same. Touch. Yep, and yeah. I. I I just love it. You won't be alive to tell them. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, perfect last line to kick off the battle. And the thing is, I, I love the fact, you, Andrew, you said that he's in the armor. We get a battle in the armor. Yep. We got a little bit of that in the Hulk, but now it's like, you know, we're getting full on, you know, we're not getting tank top Thanos. We're getting uh, <laughs> full on, yep. you know, real comic book adaptation Thanos, and that's awesome. So I was glad, again, I, I'm a costume guy through and through, so it was great to see all that kind of, again, Cap fighting Thanos with like with with this cap mask on, not like I better take it off in Age of Ultron to show off my beautiful face, everybody. You know, <laughs> we didn't need that. We didn't need that. We this is Captain America. Leave the helmet on, and it's it works. You don't need to have you don't need to have dramatic flair with Captain America. That is Captain America. So yeah, yes. Well, the Russos actually have a tendency to have Steve leave his mask on. That's a more of a Joss Whedon trope. Yeah, Joss. Yeah. Because uh, the Roos, I'm trying to think. I mean, his in the last battle for Winter Soldier, he keeps the mask on. Last yeah. battle for Civil War, mm-hmm. he keeps the mask on. And he takes when he takes it off, it's to reveal who to Bucky. Like he's trying to, re, re, yeah, uh, you know. But, but again, but at that point, the battle's over. Yeah, exactly. So that's like, not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, ta- or, it's not tactical. It's a. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's a, that's an emotional decision. It's not interfering with the you know the tactical nature of whether or not or and the logic of whether or not you would keep the helmet on in a battle. I think. Yeah. Uh, Infinity War, he doesn't have, but he doesn't wear a mask the entire time because it's part of the Captain America yeah. identity, which he's shedding in that film. Exactly. Yeah the, yeah, the only time the Russos did it besides that was when he takes his mask off for Batroc the Leaper, but that was more of a, uh, all right, buddy. Oh, yeah, right. that was, no, that, that, was yeah. a, that was a pissing contest, and they didn't hide oh, it. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which I, I, mean, I love. I mean, he, dro- he doesn't just drop the helmet. He hangs up the shield and, and everything like he's. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to take away these advantages that I have and we're just going to have a fight. Yep. Still not fair because he's a super soldier, but, you know. Yeah, whatever. but, uh, I mean, Batrock's got some talent. He's got some skills. He's probably got a little something, even if they don't define it in the movie. Fair enough, fair enough. And so intense with Nebula here. I mean, just this almost literal way of, you know. Killing your your negative self or your the, all the evil that you could potentially yeah. have in you yeah even the way she looks down it's just like you know good like saying like good riddance she almost looks down in a disgusted way yeah and a great callback to the first avengers movie with iron man having thor power him up mm-hmm. oh, so good 
And great move by Thanos using Iron Man to do the Mjolnir block. Oh, so good. <laughs> Pretty ridiculous. It's yeah, uh, I this just, is insane. I mean, but this is the Russo's like and I think it's something that you know, I don't know how they do it other than just by watching it as I'm I'm seeing it. I I'm, I I know it's happening, but it's it's unbelievable to me that the way they're able to retained the very visceral nature of the fight sequences that they had in Captain America Winter Soldier, even as they got less and less grounded with these bigger cosmic stories, they never lost that. Like these fights, even with a digital character like Thanos, that still has weight and it's still very inventive in how they handle the choreography and everything still feels, you still feel the impact of everything. It's just, it's incredible to me. And then of course, here's, I mean, here, yeah, here we go. I'd say, yeah, I mean, come on. Just you knew what Boom. was—I mean, Ugh. eruption! Like just <laughs> in the theater, everybody just going absolutely nuts. But this is the benefit of—and so will portals in a couple minutes here. But this is the benefit of you know, or one of the key benefits of everything they've been doing up to this point. They yeah. built to this. So when Steve wields Mjolnir for the first time, it's been earned. When he says yep. Avengers Assemble for the first time, it's Oof. been earned. And it could never be as satisfying if they were just throwing these kinds of things in, you know, in the very first Avengers movie or, or anything like that. The fact that we we built to this, that these are moments that that they earned in the storytelling and also we as an audience earned by going on this journey with these characters and through these stories. I mean, that's what makes these payoffs so great. And, you know, as far as the whole you know, payoff versus, you know, you know, great storytelling, you know, or or fan service versus great storytelling with regard to these payoffs. Well, these, these are all things that have been set up the, you know, the Mjolnir thing with uh, age of Ultron and uh, you know, cap kind of teasing Avengers Avengers assemble at the end of age of Ultron. And of course the whole on your left thing from, you know, going back to the introduction between Sam and cap in winter soldier, all of these things are set up. So it's still yet, does it feel like fan service? Yes, but just because it's fan service doesn't mean it can't also be great storytelling. If it's been set up uh, throughout the story, then it still qualifies as being uh, some really terrific, some really terrific storytelling. And so that's what it is here in uh, in Avengers Endgame, and I just I absolutely love it. And Thanos getting going just full on here of now, like I'm about to you know destroy your planet, and I'm going to enjoy every second of it. That's you know, more more chilling dialogue from Thanos, but you know, and, and to really make the the situation appear hopeless. But it's also a callback to uh, to Infinity Gauntlet. You know, Cap doesn't really get dialogue here, but he has that speech to Thanos in Infinity Gauntlet of you know, as long as there's one man to stand against you. And Cap is you know, before he knows his friends are coming, he's he's here as the one man who's going to stand against Thanos and his army. There's no way he's going to win this battle, but he's not backing down. No, absolutely. And I totally thought um, prior to this, the army coming in, when Thanos was just going absolutely ham on Steve, mm-hmm. I, I thought that's when he was going to maybe bite it. I was super clenched up. Oh, they had me. I mean, when he's pushing Stormbreaker into Thor's <laughs> chest, I'm thinking, uh oh, Thor's going to go. And until I see the hammer lift, and then I see this, and I'm like, you know, yeah, when he was, especially when he cut Steve's leg, you know, when he puts his blade through and yeah, cuts the, Steve's yeah. thigh, like, I'm like, oh, no. I, I, I actually cried out in pain in the yeah. theater, me and several people. But yeah, and and, and this shot, not, not oh, right. here. Okay, this oh. shot, yeah, this shot right here. Yep. My 
God, my God. And yeah. then, of course, we, we get Cap, you hear me? And then you talk about earning a line with, with Cap earning, you know, Avengers Assemble. This is Sam earning on your left. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, I completely lost it here. Like, it's ha- just, happy tears. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, and what I love about, I mean, I can, I'll never forget, you know, for, I mean, hopefully, but I don't think I'm ever going to forget you know, just the way this plays out in the theater, you know, and what made uh, Avengers Endgame, I think, is the most special, most extraordinary theatrical experience I've ever had in my life from, you know, and, and that's for pretty much every screening, especially through the first week of the movie as that it was in theaters and, and so many people seeing it for the first time. But even with people seeing it for the second time, still cheering at all the same stuff. I mean, you yeah. know, from on your left to here's Black Panther and Shuri and Okoye cheers and then you know sam flying through cheers and then here's dr strange and the guardians cheers star lord cheers spider-man the cheers get louder and it's just it just keeps going up and up and up of all these different pops of the audience just i mean and it's it's excitement it's enthusiasm that they cannot contain like you cannot keep that in uh when you cannot bottle that up like it's just it has to come out uh, because it, the feeling is just so powerful, the emotion is just so powerful, and it it I I cannot believe this. I mean, I know Kevin Feige has described this as his proudest moment in his time at Marvel Studios, even a Howard the Duck cameo. And you know, I get why. I mean, this should be his proudest moment because this oh, this has been achieved th- not through just this film. This is achieved through you know this being the twenty second film, so the twenty one films before it. It's all led to this. To where it's all as ap- as completely satisfying as it could possibly be, and it's just unbelievable. And you know we don't have it playing here because we you know, don't have a license for it. But the Alan Silvestri score oh, that's just yeah. making this whole thing—it's just oh, it, it, this is a, a completely other level. There's never been anything like this, never, no, and never will no, be again. Ne- no. And there it is. And and I love how Alan Silvestri, you called it out, but I love how he even extends it. The dun-dun, dun-dun. Yeah. He extends it, um, I think, four more beats, if I'm counting correctly, to really just like... Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love Juan, Juan going, you wanted more? You know, that was great. Yeah, it was the fan. The Avengers Assemble line is such a... At this point, it's a deep cut because it's... We, you know, they don't... Re- talk about it or ever it's ever mentioned obviously besides the avengers assemble title that was a uk version um but with the assemble thing at this point it's such a deep cut for us marvel fans we never you know we never thought we were ever going to get it they almost i thought the closest we were going to ever get to it was age of ultron where you know you know basically cap kind of alludes to it and you're like okay they don't want to say it i get it and obviously it's just it really is like it's a it, it went from a deep cut to now one of the most iconic maybe moments in like science fiction in history potentially uh basically so i mean i i would say it would be anyway so um, oh i'm i'm right there with you paul I, oh, yeah. there's no way they couldn't have i I've, if if he never said it that would have been oh he was I, he was always going to say it sure no but but let's just say in some weird awful uh we, we don't have you know, the time stone in our other reality that and we're sitting here doing this podcast. If it, let's, let's say that didn't happen. That would just be, this still, film would still be amazing, but it would have that heartbreak. And then you speak of heartbreak that that's what my heart's doing when Tony and 
Tony and uh, Peter hug here. Yeah, I mean, I just had a, you know, from the time Cap got Mjolnir to, you know, through portals, I mean, I... I just had a steady mist over my mm-hmm. face, yep. um, you know, yep. and and yep. of course, and, you know, and it, you know, it was, uh, and that just continued to happen. Especially that hug between Tony and Peter is just it's it's everything to me. It's that relationship, and it's it's showing that you know Tony. Granted, Peter is not his actual his biological son, but Peter has been a son to him. You know, it's Morgan wasn't the first time that Tony was really feeling like a father, and and perhaps it was having Morgan that made uh you know that made tony feel that much more like a and, re, and that put it in perspective for tony what his relationship with peter was and so to have that like i, I think it was just uh you know it, it was so great to see that bonding moment between them and it, it also still is a little mini payoff from spider-man homecoming when peter hugs tony thinking that tony wanted a hug and tony says he was just getting the door for him you know this time it is a hug and, you know and for peter to kind of punctuate it with oh this is nice i thought it was great But yeah, it's just, oh, I mean, this is, this is everything. I mean, yeah. and it's the only major action sequence in the entire movie. I mean, everything else really, is very, yeah. I mean, you get a fight between two caps that's very, very brief. Uh, you know, you get little action beats here and there, a little, you know, obviously fight between Natasha and, and Clint. But see, even these, even those fight sequences, I mean, they're very late in the movie and yet, Nobody complains about the pacing of this film. You know, whether it's action or emotion, everybody's completely engaged in this story. And I, I think that speaks, you know, very highly of, of this script and of the direction of this film, uh, but also speaks very highly of of the performances, but also just the overall engagement that the, that the audience has had with this particular universe and the way that this film uh, knows, how to, uh, knows how best to capitalize on that and how to deliver a satisfying conclusion. I mean... We, I know we've talked about it before, but it bears repeating. I mean, it. we've seen so many major pop culture finales over the years disappoint or, you know, best case scenario, they become polarizing where some people really love it, but there are others who strongly hate it. I mean, to have the kind of positive consensus that Marvel achieved with this movie is incredibly rare. And I'm not talking about this becoming the biggest movie of all time. That's nice, but, you know, it's... To me, the the proof of how great this movie is and what it accomplished, it's the reactions in the theaters. You know, it's and I mean, outside of the theater with the way we've all been talking about this movie, it's it really is special and it, and it really is rare what Marvel Studios achieved just just from a finale perspective. But then if we factor in the the entire saga, nobody's ever done anything like this. And a great callback to Civil War of Clint yeah. uh, introducing himself to T'Challa, who didn't care at the time, but now that that introduction means something here. An awesome showdown between uh, Scarlet Witch and Thanos. Yep, and um, going back to what I had mentioned before, with some of you know these later films kind of bolstering the the previous ones. C- Civil War for me, I really I, I I really like it a lot. I wouldn't say I love it, and that is one of those moments where it's like, oh hi, I'm Clint. I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But now it's like again watching Civil War again. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. You know, because then it, so so again, I I love how. And any sort of um, misgivings or critiques, nitpicks, little, you know, things that just, you know, might bug me subjectively are as we continue on with this series. And that's what's so great about this format that that Marvel has done and, can, and will continue 
continue to do is that it it will bolster up and 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 they will make those callbacks. So I think that's really key. And of course, Scarlet Witch here, I, I just uh, amazing. Hey, without just, rain, without rain fire, she kills Thanos here. Oh, totally. And that is, and, some, and that's why he makes the call. Yeah, I mean, he, it, ha- he has to. Yeah, he it's it's panic. You know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. not. I it, mean. It, the guy who never panics is now, you know, feels like there's no, there's absolutely no other option. And and I love what that shows because, I mean, Scarlet Witch, if you know the comics, you know that this is actually one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel yep. Universe when, you know, treated properly. Yes. And so, like, you know her power level, but the movies have only really scratched the surface of that. And this is a very quick way when you talk about the future, and we know that Scarlet Witch has a future between WandaVision as well as her uh, being set to appear in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, that, you know, this character, like, it's time to really show what this character can do. And a very quick way of doing that is to take the toughest character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the guy who whooped the Hulk without using the Power Stone in Infinity War, and let's just have Scarlet Witch actually... Let's have Scarlet Witch actually defeating him in a one-on-one matchup uh, to where he has to do this panic move. It's it's a really it's a smart play and also it's very emotionally fulfilling to uh, you know with what Thanos did to her and did Division at the end of Infinity War. So it works on it works on paying off what's already happened in this universe and also setting up what will happen. Cuz I I did say that, you know, that you know this has never been, happened before and it will never happen again and maybe I'll be wrong about that but the only way it happens again is if Marvel Studios does it again nobody else is going to do it again no and 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 I think you know with with things that are coming down the line and I think and and and, and I'm right with Paul too I'm I'm I've always been more of an X-Men guy so when that is coming into the MCU I think we have a real chance to perhaps beat this and I'm not talking box office I'm just saying maybe or be on the level but in a different way of course you know because it'll be the x-men but that's that's yeah this this you know something just entered the atmosphere and carol just comes in for the clinch that's amazing and i love the triumphant oh yeah yeah Yeah. and i love that shot where cap just looking on and you just see all that that ship just go and he's got the hammer in his hand that's great and even the, her ability to fly right through ships being set up in her movie (laughs) that you just see before this one i mean i it's so that look on Thanos's face too, though, like after he sees his ship fall, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the seeds of doubt in Thanos's face, you know, you see it, obviously the, the panic when he's losing to Scarlet Witch. And then when he sees his ship fall, this is a guy that we've never seen have just an ounce of doubt ever that he was going to win, that he was going to get what he wanted. Uh, we've ne- we never see it. And we kind of start to see it crumbling in this, uh, in this final battle. Absolutely. And I love when um, Kara looks down at Peter Parker and oh. says, hey, Peter Parker, oh, you got so something great. for me? Yes. And I'm just like, oh, that's just, that's super hot. And then this is super, <laughs> this is amazing. This is just like really cool. I, I And I didn't really, the, the way the Wasp comes in too, the, the way she comes in, I think yeah. really cements it. It really punctuates that scene because she, she's like, you know, adjusting your wrist and looking to the right and left and it's like all right girls let's 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 uh let's go to town yeah well the best part about this for me is that you know i know it's it is a tragedy that natasha doesn't get to be in this shot but you know as i said i mean i still think her death is is valid in in this movie but also she's there in spirit because this is a it's a bigger version of and a callback to the she's not alone moment from infinity war and who are the two characters who talk the two characters who talk are Scarlet Witch and Okoye. Mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. they're the two characters who were present when Natasha said she's not alone in Infinity War. And so I, I love that those are the only two characters who speak uh, in that sequence as those two, as all these women line up. And I, I know people have accused that shot of being just too pandering and, and not being earned. I disagree. I think it's been earned because these characters, while they maybe haven't had as big of a place in the MCU as they should have, and obviously we're going to see more female characters have a more prominent have more prominent roles in the MCU going forward. I think that's also part of what makes it work because I think it's been earned up to this point, but it's also a promise of the future that I expect Marvel to deliver on. And this uh, Thor and Cap team up trying to behead Thanos with Stormbreaker is just incredible. And I'm surprised oh, yeah. Cap's neck isn't broken from that. I punch. know. I was say, <laughs> yeah. And, and and even and you talk about the desperation of Thanos right now, the way he even like kind of quickly yeah. crawled over to mm-hmm. the Infinity Gauntlet, he he's super desperate at this point. Yep. And I just And he's almost got it. I but... love how close this is when Carol comes yeah. in. I mean his fingers are together and he just hasn't yeah. snapped him yet and then she pulls the pulls the hand apart. Like it's just so good. And and the, the headbutt is just everything. Oh yeah. I mean Boom. Yeah. Just completely unfazed and Thanos once again, he's beaten, gotta cheat. But oh, it's a super smart cheat. Oh, man. Super move. Oh. oh. And here's what it all comes down to, Tony. It's only going to be you. Yep. And everything that he... And I love that there's a just there's enough time of him you know, seeing this and realizing it that you know that the full weight of his sacrifice is going through his mind. And he's choosing to do it. It's not something that he chooses to do without knowing what he's doing. Um, you know, he, he has just enough time to contemplate the full weight of, of what he, what he has to do. And he decides to do it. It it makes it that much more heroic. Yep. And I, as we get to, uh, and I am Iron Man, I, I mean, it's the stuff of legend now that it's the editor who told them to add the line and post. And it's the last thing they shot for this movie. I, it's, unbelievable to me that they didn't already think of it because it's so perfect but i mean i guess you know but that but it also speaks to the way marvel studios just continues to work on these movies and that's why they're so good is they will always try to find ways to plus it and they found maybe their best plus ever with this i am iron man moment and i am i i'm sad that i know what what this means for tony but more so than i'm i'm sad you know is when i see those infinity stones go up his arm and you know take their place in the gauntlet on his hand I'm just so damn proud of the guy, you know, as, mm-hmm. as a fan of, of Marvel, a fan of Iron Man, but just more importantly, you know, a fan of this specific iteration of the character. I am just so damn proud of the guy. Just what, a, what a hero he, he has been, uh, all the way up until, you know, his most heroic moments in this film. I just, uh, I love it. My, my heart swells with, uh, with pride for, for what Tony's done. Yeah, absolutely. And what a great, uh, what a great reflection for the ending of Thanos in this movie compared to Infinity War. Still stumbling and sitting down. Last time it was with a smile. This time it's with utter defeat uh, written across his face. And it also uh, plays on the dark refre- uh, reflection that Infinity War was of Avengers. Because Avengers, when Iron Man was down on the ground, uh, you know, somebody asked, you know, what just happened? And Steve said, we won. In Infinity War, it was Vision's body on the ground, and I think it was Rhodey or somebody saying, what just happened? And Steve says, oh, God. You know, they, it was that dark, twisted reflection of Avengers. Now Thanos gets his own ref- dark reflection. Uh, but it's a perfect end for one of the greatest antagonists in the history of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's, he's up there, top five. 
I would say, already. Yep. Like, you know, Darth Vader, maybe, you know, Hannibal Lecter, well, Thanos, and then... He's the he's this you know the other this this new generations you know oh, he is their he is their Vader for sure yeah exactly yeah. Oh, he's absolutely. their Vader for sure absolutely. oh yeah yeah and, Be- because of the complexity yep oh yeah and these were the right three characters to uh, to have a final moment with Tony you couldn't give everybody a moment so you know you have the best friends that that started this whole thing I know it was a different actor at the time but Rhodey and Tony sure and then you have his surrogate son in Peter Parker. And then his wife, the love of his life, Pepper Potts, and that, uh, you know, Pepper's the only one he can say anything to. So, you know, for future trivia questions, remember, Tony's last line is not, and I am Iron Man. His last line is, hey, Pep. Yeah. Or his last Mm. words, anyway. Yeah. Last words as a living man, not counting the last words we hear spoken in this (laughs) movie, obviously, via recording. Yep. So that would be a a tricky trivia question. Yep. (laughs) It would be actually. Yeah, no. I, I, no. I totally you, you, forgot he says hey pep here. That's right. Yep. You gotta be very specific with that wording. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, this is great. I, I love her hand on the arc reactor as it's fading out. Yep. Um, and this is just this this speaks to the strength of just Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. and uh Robert Downey Jr.'s chemistry as well. I love the way he smiles at her. Yep. I love the way she smiles back. Um and it just calls back. I mean, I ended up watching the the trilogy again uh, last week of Iron Man, and and again, um, you talk, again, I I bring up the bolstering of previous movies. You know, wasn't the biggest fan of Iron Man two, um, but but again, I I have a whole new light on it after um, all all these later movies, and especially now with uh, with uh, her and uh, Tony. Yeah, and and I love the way she holds it together you know, emotionally as she's talking to Tony and, and giving him a nice goodbye, knowing that this is the end and telling him that they're going to be okay. Not obviously, you know, and it's, they're going to be okay. That, that works on multiple levels. You know, we're going to be okay yep. as in, you know, your wife and your daughter, you know, Morgan and I are going to be okay, but also all of us are going to be okay because right. of what you've done. And, you know, so it's that way, you know, Tony gets to the last thing Tony sees is, is her smiling. And, right. you know, and, he gets and, to go out that way. And then, and then, you know, now she, she lets it all go and, and right. the, the grief starts to overtake her. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very, very amazing stuff from Quinn Paltrow for, you know, being a very um, small, but pivotal role in, in, in the grand scheme of, of this movie. Yeah. And great job here showing, you know, the reunion of, of the Bartons. And then we mm-hmm. see a celebration happening in Wakanda and it's just, uh, you know, a couple of great examples of, both very small, intimate, and then, you know, bigger scale, larger scale celebrations. Also this moment between Peter and Ned, um, you know, to show, to show, you know, this is what, this is the good that was accomplished. And, you know, through them getting the stones and and undoing the snap with Hulk, but then Tony making sure that, that all of that wouldn't be undone uh, by making that, uh, you know, that final snap to take out Thanos and his army. I think it's just, uh, it's really special. And, you know, we see it through the eyes of the characters we know. I mean, we see it through Scott and, and Hope and Cassie. We see it through T'Challa and, and Ramonda and, and Shuri. But we can we can extend it out from there. And we know that these kinds of reunions and celebrations are, are happening everywhere. And they're happening because Tony gave Tony surrendered his ability to have any sort of celebration at the end. You know, he's the one who he's the one who allows all of this to happen. It's really. Uh, really special, you know, for Tony to, 
to have that kind of moment and to be the one who helps create all of these other moments for all of these other characters and, and all the you know trillions of people across the universe that, that we haven't met and met most of whom we'll never meet in these movies. Hmm. The Bartons. That's Meet right. The Bartons. Meet the Bartons. <laughs> this is great, and I'm so glad that John Favreau, of course, you know he's he's come back a, a couple times now, of course, but mm-hmm. just so glad he's here too. For, yeah, for this part, absolutely. You know, I I love it, and this speech from Tony. I mean, it's it's perfect. It. It's a speech from, you know, for Tony to everybody that ends, you know, as he as he leans down, you know, to eye level for, you know, his daughter, this I love you 3000. And, and obviously Tony is saying this to her, but it's also, I think, Downey's way of saying it to everybody, you know, the entire audience for these movies um, who've been on this journey. And I mean, this funeral sequence, I, I just I mean, oh, this is where I was full on losing it. Oh, no, it, it's over. I mean, and I'm. I'm emotional on, on the, you know, for the loss of Tony Stark and for, you know, sharing the grief of that all these characters I know are feeling. But when we get to this crane shot and we see all these different groupings of all these different characters in these different franchises and, you know, it's similar to portals, but you know, it, it's a different, you know, it's a, it's a much different perspective of it, of just seeing, Yes, there's the sadness of the funeral itself, but then just seeing all these different players from all these different franchises that were created and then brought together over the course of these past 11 years and in 22 movies up to this point and and what Marvel Studios has achieved, there's just a tremendous sense of, uh, you know, pride that I feel as as a fan of just I'm proud that this happened. I can't believe that it happened, um but I am so completely and utterly delighted uh, and will forever be grateful that this has happened. And I know it's not over. It's it's continuing from here. But to end this particular saga in such a, a beautiful way, including this funeral sequence, I mean, it, it's just it's so incredibly special. And, you know, this, you know, this crane shot that just kind of slowly takes you through all of these characters. It's uh, it, it's every I mean, it just it means the world to me as I'm sure it means the world to, to you both and, and to everybody listening to this and everybody who's a fan of this franchise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I did have to Google the, the young man standing there. I did I not. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, or, or I did because I was like, Oh, who is that? And then I was like, Oh, that's great. Well, and, yep. Harley you know, Keener yeah. is there. And then Nick Fury, perfect way Final. to end it. The guy yep. who welcomed Tony Stark into a bigger universe is the guy who, you know, the last one we see paying uh, his respects. Uh, Feige also said recently in an interview that he's actually inside the cabin. Uh, Feige, Trin Tran and the Russos and anybody else who needed to be video village was actually set up inside the cabin. So they're there in the funeral, even though they're not in the frame. Oh, very cool. Hmm. And so lovely to see Clint and Wanda get this moment. I think their bond, their friendship in the MCU is one of the more underrated relationships in the entire story. I love their dynamic in Avengers Age of Ultron with Hawkeye giving her one of Hawkeye's best moments in the MCU is the speech that he gives her in the final battle of Age of Ultron. And then, you know, a callback to that when he's the one who goes and gets her out of Avengers compound in Captain America Civil War. 
and then you know giving them that scene as they're you know she's lost the love of her life and vision and she he's lost a friend in Natasha I love they got that scene and cheeseburgers I lost it yeah forget it uh I mean I anybody who knows the history of of Paul and myself and our good friend John Beerley, I mean, in the history of mm-hmm. the the Modern Myth Media podcast and the podcast that came from it, including this one, knows the affinity for cheeseburgers in this group. And that, you know, mm-hmm. came from a love of cheeseburgers. That, and I know cheeseburgers is a pretty basic food for people to love and appreciate. But, you know, we always talked about it on the show. Uh, and we always, you know, love that stuff. And that's why, you know, for me being a huge cheeseburger aficionado, I loved you know, back in 2008, first time I saw Iron Man. The fact that Tony wanted cheeseburgers, you know, was one of the first things he was the first thing he wanted when he got back uh, out of captivity. You know, I always uh, that was always a key point to, of me relating to that character to have that called back to uh, with John Favreau in that moment is just it's just the best. Yep, absolutely. Cheeseburgers for life. It's a shorter life, but worth it. Oh, yes. to- 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 totally. I have, I have no problem checking out at, at 60 if that's when I need to go. <laughs> oh, man. Or, you know, whatever. Sorry to get too... We, we turned... We got um, dark. We got uh, dark sorry. here. Well, oh, let's, let's see. Is, is, the, is this MCU timeline still going when I'm 60? If it's not, then all right. But no. Um, I, I love that, you know... I love that there's, uh, you know, there's something about this where Thor, you know, says that Asgard already has a king. Not a queen, Asgard has a king in Valkyrie that I think is uh, I think is really cool. Yeah, and, and I, I love that moment between them, um, between Valkyrie and Thor. So that's going to be really cool. And then, of course, you know, we we get super lighthearted here with uh, with these two. Chris the chem, the chem. I know. Obviously, Hemsworth deserves a lot of credit, you know, for especially the the look on his eyes that we're going to get in a in a minute or two here, but. The chemistry that he and Pratt have is yeah. is it's so natural. It's I mean it's almost uncanny the way that these two play off of each other. I mean you go back to Infinity War and then you bring it back here. I don't know if I've ever seen two actors hit it off this way in such a limited amount of scenes. It, it, I it, it makes me really hope that I don't know if it's Thor: Love and Thunder. I don't know if it's Guardians Three. I don't know if it's a different movie after those two. But I definitely want a big story with these two guys together because they do they really work so well off of each other. Um, you know, they're you just feel like they're completely in rhythm. Like you almost feel like I mean oh. I, obviously things were written, but you got you know that they took whatever was on the page and they just elevated it because there's just such a natural chemistry between the two of them. I oh, you know you can't absolutely. even put a finger on it. No, absolutely. Even the way they they kind of chuckled nervously mm-hmm. and it, it it roiled out to broiled out into laughter. I thought that was really amazing. Yep, and they're all, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and even a third time, he even says it a yep. third time. And and, and right one, now, I'm just like, okay, the tears are away. Okay, cool. All yeah. right, man, that was good. One, I needed that. One of the hardest laughs every time I saw Endgame was that look yep. in Thor's eyes on the last. Yep. Of course, just mm-hmm. oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, we haven't touched on it much just from the pure visual effects standpoint, but Hulk looks really good here. I mean, I'm not even watching in 4K. I'm just watching in 1080 to not because we're streaming this and I don't want to kill it as we're trying to as we're recording uh, over the Internet. But even in 1080, I can see the pores on his skin Um, and it looks that much more impressive on in 4K. Like it's it's unbelievable to me. Yeah, I'm 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 watching on on standard def and he's. 
he's real. <laughs> yeah. He's right there with him. Really amazing. I love I that. I love this scene. Yep. I love that Bucky oh. knows. Yep. 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 Too. There you go. Love you stole it. the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. And uh, the, the whole callback of... Uh, don't do anything yep, stupid. The, don't, taking all the stupid with you from First yep. Avenger. Love it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's pretty clear that Bucky's the only one. Maybe somebody else was told. I don't know. But at least in this group right here, Bucky's the only one who knows. But he doesn't know everything because he doesn't know Steve is coming back. He doesn't, like, he's caught by surprise when he sees Steve over there on the bench. Like, he doesn't know that part of it. He expects Steve to be gone forever. Right. Yeah, because he he's not as panicky as Sam. Mm -hmm. He's he's accepting it. And then he walks away very calmly and then yes he looks up and, and sees him sitting on the rock yeah so I have, I have a question in this theory i haven't really dove too much into it and they i heard that they've confirmed this so if i get this correct there are actually two captain americas the whole time in the mcu correct because, yes and so, yes and no okay so the writers and the directors don't even agree on what this means by the way Okay, so just to make sure I understand this correctly. Let's let's save let's save that for the credits because we'll have a yeah. lot of time to fill in the credits because okay, we'll fine. otherwise we're gonna talk over all of what's <laughs> about to happen. Important, a very right. important moment. Yeah, but, uh, I agree. But I, I, I'll I ask my question in a second. But yeah, I do love this part. I do love the fact that Cap gives a shield to to Sam, and I think it's a it's a beautiful moment. It really is. I also, yes. side note, love the leather case for the shield. Word. <laughs> like, it's it, a very, it's very much the kind of case that, you know, you know, I, I don't know, it just feels old. Like, I, I just, I love it. It well, feels, it, also, it, it gives everything, it, it just adds to, you know, it's just good aesthetic choice. It just gives it all a sense of history. And yeah. Chris Evans, I can't believe this old man voice that he did wasn't touched in post. Like, this is just yeah. him doing it. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty impressive. But yeah. this scene is so perfect. Like, man, you just when you look about the economy of scenes in these movies, like you know whether it's the super un- understated, uh, you know, resolution between uh, Steve and and Tony, or you know even this scene, like which is very powerful and very important, very emotional. They're not saying a lot. Well, I'm, put it this way: they're not saying a ton of words, but they're communicating so much. And it's it's so it's so well done and so beautifully acted by these two guys. And I even love, you know, the the reluctance the reluctance of Sam to even pick up the shield and and even Bucky kind of being the guy to give him the nod. Like there's no battle for the shield here. It's not going to happen. Sam is the choice, and Bucky agrees with it. And you know, Sam is going to be the new Captain America of the MCU over time. Maybe not immediately. The show's still called Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. But uh, right. but Sam is the guy. And it's a it's a perfect passing of the passing of the torch. It's so well yeah. done. And, and then the, and the subtle oh, sorry. redesign. I'm sorry, really, really fast. The subtle redesign of the shield. I didn't even catch it the first time, but it just it's a little bit different. I love love the way it looks. Yep. Now I've got another shield. I got to buy. So yep, absolutely. <laughs> like... And then I love this point. So I had just wiped away tears, and mm-hmm. then when when Cap says it, it isn't, I'm completely losing it again. Yep. When 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 Sam says it feels like someone else's and Cap just looks up at him and says it isn't and just the way he says it the the tone and the yeah. assuredness and I and just then I love yeah. and then here comes the score and the dun, yeah, dun, 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 dun. yeah but even like I'll do my best that's why it's yours yeah I love it and then, 
it's yeah. not the expect it's it's not the expectation of who you're meant. It, it feels almost somewhat similar to the Thor Frigga stuff. Like it's not about the idea of what the mantle is and, and who that represents and who you're supposed to be. In, in the end, I became Captain America by doing my best. And I believe Sam, that you'll do your best and your best knowing you is going to be good enough. That's why it's yours. I, I love that. It's, it's such a beautiful message um, in that transition. And this is great. I mean, the door's open, so Steve just got there, and like the first thing he's going to do is have the dance that he missed with Peggy, um, you know, when he had to uh, sacrifice himself at the end of the first Avenger. And such a wonderful ending for Steve to be able to get this. I know it was a, a popular fan theory going into the movie. I almost didn't expect them to to do it, um, but I'm so glad that they did, and, and it works so well. You know, I, I wasn't sure if Steve could make that choice. You know, to to actually go allow himself to have a life with Peggy, but I'm glad he did, and and he deserves it. He's earned this. Um, you know, for people saying, "Oh, what's Steve going to do in this timeline? Is he letting all these bad things happen in Hydra?" I don't know what Steve's doing in this timeline. I know what I I just know that he was happy that he had a beautiful life and he deserved it, and a perfect last shot with uh, Steve and Peggy sharing that kiss. Just yep. I mean, absolutely. And then the song coming on, and then it just goes to black, and then and then you get it directed by Anthony and Joe yep. Russo. And and I love so going and going back to your comment, Sean, with oh, you know, Cap Cap is he going to live a happy life? How can he do that? Cap would never quit. It's kind of the same thing. The, the comics are the comics. They need to keep mm-hmm. printing them uh, month after month and keep it ongoing. Steve is always going to be perpetually thirty five years old. Same thing for somebody like Bruce Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I loved about, you know, the dark Knight rises, Bruce Wayne gets his happy ending because that's the movies. And in the movies here, Steve gets his happy ending. And that means the world to me, just like how rises had a very emotionally impactful ending for me, this same sort of feeling, obviously different, but um, same concept. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, getting into this idea of what exactly does this mean for Steve and are there two Steve Rogers? There technically has to be. I mean, no matter yes. how you slice it, there has to be because you changing the past doesn't change the future. So Steve didn't go back and, you know, there while this dance is happening, Steve is still in ice somewhere. And that Steve would still presumably in that Absolutely. timeline uh, would go through it. And, uh, you know, he would ultimately go, you know, still come back and all the same adventures would happen. And then you would have this other Steve that was alive at the same time. What it would change is, you know, Peggy's life. Cause she's not marrying some, this version of Peggy isn't uh, changing and isn't uh, going to marry somebody else. But at the same time that still happened. This is now an, a di- this is now a, a new timeline. And depending on how you explain it or the semantics of it, you still have based on the Russos, they're basically saying this becomes an alternate timeline and Steve jumps back at the end because um, Peggy dies in 2016. So after that, Steve can jump back at any point because I, I don't think that would change the timing of, of Peggy's death because so, she dies obviously during uh, during Civil War. So maybe after she dies in 2016, he jumps back into 2023 in the prime MCU timeline and obviously has a change of clothes because he's not still wearing the quantum suit. But there is still a version because you can't change what's already happened. So there still is a, a prime MCU timeline in which Peggy married somebody else and had kids with that guy. Marcus and McFeely said that they thought in their minds that the kids that Peggy was describing in uh, in Winter Soldier, that those were Steve's kids. That's not possible. 
Uh, th- that's not possible based on their rules. That doesn't mean that that th- that Steve and Peggy couldn't have had their own kids, but that's that the but the Peggy in that video would not have been describing uh, Steve's children because changing the you can't go back and change the fact that she married somebody else and had kids with somebody else. And that's the video that the Steve was watching. I know I'm getting really heady and into the time travel minutia here, but to me, the only thing that's a difference here is whether you believe it's truly an alternate timeline or if Steve is basically just looping himself back through the same timeline, but it doesn't change, but it still doesn't change what happened uh, previously. But before we continue on with the time travel stuff, just want to highlight because it's happening here. What an uh, what a smart and and well earned uh, you know well earned tribute to the original six Avengers to allow them to kind of sign off literally with put the, putting their signatures on this movie and on this Infinity Saga uh, with the original six, which I know they lifted from uh, from Star Trek. Star but, Trek, the undiscovered, yep, the undiscovered yeah. country. But uh, yep. that's Kevin Feige being the ultimate nerd, being like, well, our guys deserve this too, so let's do oh, it. Sure, and absolutely, uh, and you know it's great and. You know, just see, and it gives the, it's basically to me, it's allowing each of them, not that they were present in the theaters where people were watching the movie, um, but it's allowing everybody to take a bow. You know, each of these six actors are are coming out here and taking a bow. And, you know, in the screenings I was in, the audience applauded accordingly, uh, particularly though, of course, with this last one with Downey uh, as the one who started all of this with, uh, with Iron Man. It's a great, uh, it's a great touch, but yeah, the, the time travel minutia for me, Paul, it's either an alternate timeline or it's looping back through an original timeline, but it doesn't change the fact that that timeline already happened once, even if you're looping back through it. But were well, there any I, other questions you had besides that? Well, but in either have, scenario, there's two caps. There has to be. Well, well, well what, what I want to add is what if – this is going to maybe even get way too complicated here, but what if Peggy always – Cap always came back to her in that because this, yes, this is yes. what was destiny always supposed to happen. And she never no one knows who she married. Like she stays pretty private. Her kids or whatever. No one really meets her husband because it's Captain America. And when she's talking in the thing, she's like, my Steve saved my husband. Uh, like it, I could see her saying like just saying that to protect Steve because, you know, that's the reality, the reality they live in. He always comes back from that. To be with them, to be with her. So that's that's, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's but it still doesn't it still doesn't work by the rules of it. Be meaning you're right, you're meaning right. going back allows you to change what already happened, which it doesn't do. So you know, so Steve, my, Steve coming out of the ice, her already having another husband and another kids that already happened. You, so you right. can't change that. So my my theory to it is I'm I'm on board. There's only one one of two things there there are two concurrent steves it's just a matter of is he looping through an, an alternate one or the same one i think he's looping in the same one and i think it works like this i think he lives a life with peggy up into a point and then i think he does bow out of her life and says you you need to continue on and and marry you know whoever you're gonna do i i love you very much you'll you'll be happy with them and 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 you're gonna you know, raise some great kids that are going to join S.H.I.E.L.D. and then the CIA and be a very important part. That's just my little, like, kind of subsection to kind of what Paul was talking about. Mm-hmm. So just just another kind of little, again, it's very heady, very minutia-driven, but maybe Steve, ha- he has that life w- with Peggy, but up until a point. And it, it, she was single for a while. I mean, based on, I think, that, that yeah, real... Yeah, no, she was... She, yeah, no, she is single for a little while. I mean, 
They never confirm or get to the point where they say who her husband is in Agent Carter, although there's a there's a fairly strong candidate in, by the end of season two for Agent Carter of, of who that would be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't I think he still I think he spends a full life with Peggy because I think he okay. knows I, okay. I think he knows that by going back, he doesn't change that. She already what, what did already live happened. a life with another guy. So you sure. could say that, you know. The way I see it is it's not necessarily a clean loop because the Russo say there are no loops, but whatever. It's 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 still coming up to interpretation because even them and even the Russos and the writers have different interpretations of all the, the time travel minutia. And that's why they try to emphasize like the minutia isn't really the point. But, you know, just right. to just to beat this dead horse a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> like, I love it. I'm uh, sorry. 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 No, 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 no. Like it depends on like you could also say that you know Steve going back creates a divergent timeline only for that time period that he is in that timeline so it doesn't change that you know the original timeline happened he's now created an alternate timeline that runs parallel at least temporarily because if two lines are truly parallel they never intersect but temporarily it runs right alongside the uh it runs right alongside the MCU prime timeline and then when he jumps back, because he never goes back to the time, if he never goes back to the timeline with Peggy, and that's the only thing that's different is, you know, him being with Peggy instead of her being with somebody else and all the other things still pretty much happened, then that timeline kind of, that alternate timeline merges back into the prime timeline. That's the, wow. that's another way that I, uh, I look sure. at it, but. And, and, and this is why it's called the multiverse of madness. Exactly. So <laughs> oh boy. we'll yeah. see. Well, and they keep teasing it, you know, maybe, you know, the Russos have said, you know, maybe they will go back and they'll say what happened or maybe that'll be, I don't think they'll make a movie based on this alternate timeline with Steve. I, I think, but I do think it's totally something they should cover on the what if series on Disney plus they should absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yep. go through it and, and have a lot of fun, cause, especially since it's not technically canon anyway, so they're not beholden to it uh, in any uh, any future stories. It would just be a really fun exploration. But uh, before the credits totally wind down, I just want to throw out a couple thank yous. to uh, Thank you very much to Nolan Ryan and Jason Abel. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash News where we have all kinds of exclusive content. We do Patreon credit scenes for most of the shows. We won't have one for this one because it's just the commentary track, but we do Patreon credit scenes where we have additional conversations on top of the main show. We also do, uh, there's a weekly Q&A show that you can listen to. So you get the Patreon credit scenes and you can listen to the Q&A show for just a dollar a month. And then we have uh, other tiers with a Patreon exclusive Discord where we do watch parties. We're going to have one coming up pretty soon for Avengers Endgame. Uh, now that it's on Blu-ray as you're listening to this episode or about to be on Blu-ray as you're listening to this episode. Hey, there's a guy named Jonathan Gerber who was in charge of studio management on this movie. No relation. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> but, I was going to say, oh, because I thought you might drop a bomb yeah. here on me. Yeah, right? no, 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 no relation, no relation. At least not that okay. I'm aware of. Uh, but anyway, lots of exclusive there. We also are going to be having adding commentary tracks to the Patreon, uh, to the Patreon exclusives. We have the Daily Bugle. It's a Monday through Friday news show. So lots of stuff, and you also, if you subscribe, you get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher, so that, like Apple Podcasts, so you get all of your Patreon-exclusive content as well as the main show. It's all in one spot. You don't have to track it down in multiple places. So we hope to see you over there. We have a really great uh, really great community over there with a lot of great folks uh, just sharing uh, all of their 
Marvel enthusiasm, as I'm sure you can uh, you can relate. So we hope to see you over there. And for more informa- uh, for more information on that, make sure you visit uh, Patreon.com/slash Marvel Studios News. And then you can keep up with us in the usual spots: MarvelStudiosNews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. Uh, I'll save the personal Twitter handles for uh, for the very end. But I also don't want to end this commentary without saying thank you so much, Andrew, for your support uh, on the Patreon. But more importantly, for allowing me to do a come, this redeems you for making me watch Venom again. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> allowing me to watch and, and talk about uh, Avengers Endgame because this, the timing of this, uh, I, I really like because this is actually going to be the first time uh, that we've had a commentary track that's been ready to go. Uh, as a movie is coming out on uh, on Blu-ray, so I really do uh, appreciate you choosing that. Also, one last note, as because I'm being reminded as I'm looking at the music credits of It's Been a Long, Long Time, that song actually was in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Remember, that's what's playing in the apartment when Fury's already there uh, for Steve in that film. So it's another uh, Russo Brothers uh, callback. Um, but one last note, Pierre, and I promise, Andrew, I'll let you say something. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, well, like, I, as we're going to... as we're Finalizing the credits, you know, the this is the perfect touch to not have a post credit scene, but to just hear Tony, you know, you know, striking the striking the hammer, making the Mark One Iron Man armor as a, a, a tribute, one last homage to Tony Stark slash Iron Man, but also what that represents. That everything you just saw, you know, taking you back to where it all started with Tony Stark in a cave with a box of scraps. And that's what Marvel means by it. I think it's just that in story. But I think from a, you know, a little bit of a meta perspective, because Marvel Studios wouldn't feel this way, but if you look at the perception of the studio when this whole thing started, this extraordinary saga, which you just saw conclude, I know there's still Spider-Man Far From Home, but this was the main you know, culmination of it. Everything you just saw come to a head here for the Infinity Saga, it all started... In a cave, which for Marvel Studios was a very small office above a Mercedes-Benz dealership that eventually, you know, they went to Raleigh Studios and everywhere else. But it was all humble beginnings, and it was in their own little cave, so to speak, with what a lot of people considered a box of scraps. No X-Men, no Spider-Man. They've got the B characters is how a lot of people were talking about it back then. And this is what Marvel Studios was able to turn it into. They never thought that they had B characters. They thought they had something special, uh, and they thought Iron Man was worth it and that they would have plenty of other characters. If Iron Man could work, that they'd be able to follow it uh, with a lot of other great characters. And they were right, and they, uh, you know, their confidence was, uh, was on point, but not just because the characters are great, but because there were a lot of great storytellers, as led by Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige over these past 11 years, uh, that were able to make the most of these characters and turn them into mainstream icons by telling wonderful stories that just allowed the audience to connect to and relate to these characters. So much so that we talk about, and it's not just us, but we talk, you know, I say, when I say we, I mean the movie going public, we talk about these characters openly, not just as, or not even mainly as Iron Man and Captain America. We talk about them as Tony and Steve. Uh, because they are, we feel like we know them uh, over the course of these movies, uh, and that's because of the level of care that went into the storytelling and uh, the unbelievable performances that made the most of these, uh, of the you know, of all the brilliant screenwriters, directors, and producers, uh, Kevin Feige and Victoria Alonso and Ludi Esposito and the entire Marvel Studios team. Uh, they all made the most of it. Uh, so 
it was never really a box of scraps to begin with, but I love that they, what they were able to turn it into and, and the way that is uh, perfectly punctuated with, uh, with the metal clanging at the very end of, uh, of Avengers Endgame. It's just, it's the perfect touch to go out on. Yeah, this, uh, Endgame is a it's a it's a game changer in so many ways and 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 it just also ups the ante for Marvel going forward even more and that is really weird to say but and it's rare to say that some something can stick the landing as good as Endgame does and yeah like you said I don't think anybody the, the, ever has honestly I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. I think it's the greatest you know finale it's the greatest finale that I've ever seen and yeah and especially when it's a finale that that doesn't bring the entire thing to an end because you know the there will be you know the universe will live on but this this movie absolutely cements uh the infinity saga as as I've said before and I, I'm never gonna stop meaning it the avenger you know the infinity saga it's the greatest cinematic saga of all time in my book i'll I'll put it up against anything nobody has to agree don't care if they do even Feige would probably debate me on it uh but i i would I, this is this is the the very top for me and Avengers endgame is uh the most extraordinary theatrical experience uh, I've ever had but I do again Andrew thank you so much for for choosing this film but also the support on the patreon it, it really means a lot. Um, and not just that, but your, you know, your support and friendship as a, as a loyal listener for, you know, before there was such a thing as the Marvel Studios News podcast. And we, re- Paul and I really appreciate it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to chat with you guys now, now that I'm able to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. So, uh, well, now that the movie's wrapped up, I'm sure everybody needs a bathroom break. So let's go ahead and <laughs> let's start the sign off. <laughs> so Andrew, where can everybody uh, keep up with you? In case oh, they didn't yep. catch you on the uh, on the Venom commentary. Well, yeah, yeah, they they're probably like, man, I don't want to follow that guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> no, you can catch me on Twitter uh, at a Custer X, and then uh, Instagram a Custer X and one the number one. Cool. And Paul, so, one, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at, at Herman twenty two with two ends, aka P Thug. Also on Instagram, same thing at Herman twenty two with two ends. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul and Andrew, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching Avengers Endgame with us. We'll see you next time. 